Hey everybody, Tim here, the editor. Um, a little um, wanted to drop a little piece of audio before the actual episode begins. Now I know I had made statements saying that episode ninety-eight would going to be a Temple of Doom review. However, due to scheduling problems, it's being pushed back just a little bit. And I'm sorry about that because just how things are going out. As well as I want to keep the one good scare to have one Halloween movie a month. If I went with the plan I had initially. That wouldn't happen this month. It would have happened. We've had two episodes in June, and it's just like the consistency that we've had thus far. So that's why Temple of Doom is pushed back, and Halloween 5 is in its place. I hope everybody's enjoyed this review, and stay tuned for Mike and I. Tim for the past, intro the show. I met him 15 years ago. I I was told there was nothing left. No reason no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back, and we're continuing our chronological exploration of all the Halloween movies, One Good Scare. And it is the month of May, so we're talking about Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And my guest needs no introduction. He's the one who's been with me since the very beginning of this specific stream of podcasts. Mr. Mike Wilson, how are you doing, sir? Hello there, folks. How, uh, how are we? I'm good. Everybody doing well. <laughs> Everybody's doing well. I I would hope things are the, the warm weather. The uh, it's like the everybody's gonna go outside wearing shorts and everything like that, and everybody's just feeling really good about themselves. I, I hope so. I put my air conditioner in today, so I'm feeling really good about myself. Yeah, even though it was rattling momentarily near the end of our rewatch. I'll just throw something at it and it'll stop. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't smash my head into it. I think it would, it would shut it up. Later, when I'm trying to sleep, that's the thing. Oh, I'm, okay. I'll, I'll just wait patiently until you do that. They, see, that's the thing. you got to help me figure out these little kinks in the system that we have here. So I'll try to sleep. You just stand there and don't say anything, especially a pun, because I know that that's difficult for you. Not to say any puns, and I promise I won't use as much force as I would when I need to fix my AC by throwing something at it. It's funny that you mentioned that because like, um, Dakota actually did a piece of artwork where like he was. It's the three of us. It's it's Dakota, Nikki, and I, and we're having a conversation. And then he makes a pun, and I'm like, "Is that a pun I hear?" And then my mouth opens as wide as it can, and just a tidal wave shoots out of my mouth and just says puns as they get drowned in my punnel wave. And that's how usually my most of my conversations go. Would you concur? Uh, yes, with a resounding yes, okay. and an exclamation point on the end of it. <laughs> All right, enough of my puns. Let's talk about Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, right now.
Now, I know like it's become like, kind of a broken record, me asking this, because w- was Halloween 5 another one of the Halloweens that you would go to the video store and see? I can actually say for this episode, w- I'm going to break the cycle just a little bit. You're going to break the walls down? I'm going to break the walls down. Break the walls down! I have, I have a little bit. Blockbuster Video is involved, but it is not the primary way that Halloween 5 was introduced to me. Okay. Um, I'm also, I gotta say, about feeling good. I'm wearing my Fright Rags, Dr. Samuel Loomis Head and Field Logger shirt. Yes. Fright-Rags.com. Yes. They are not a sponsor of the show, but if they want to sponsor the show, by all means. And we'll give them as much free publicity as ever. I'm feeling good. This is a shirt I bought like two years ago and just now finally fit into. Yes. You do. 30 pounds. Fantastic. Under 200 pounds for the first time in five years. Congrats, dude. Feeling good. Looking good. Kicking ass. Exactly. Let's kick some ass right now. Yes. Just, Just. Did that hurt? Not as much as the mental image. Of me kicking ass? No, what that sound could really symbolize. Of fudge packing or something? <laughs> the act of packing fudge? <laughs> Tom Cruise is a fudge packer! Cut to Tom Cruise packing fudge. Well, speaking of fudge packing, Halloween 5. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's definitely a... Uh, it is a mixed bag. I think we'll put it up right on Front Street there. So, my history with Halloween 5, it started... Shortly, you may want to move that water bottle before it spills all over my floor. All right, all right, all right, all right. That's why I have this table right here, you know, this, this handy. Thank you. Yeah, I moved the, the open <laughs> bottle away from the electronic equipment. That's why I put it over there. But it's your electronic equipment. I don't wor- worry about that. All right, I'll spill it, my water, all over your tablet then. So I thought. Problem solved. Continue. I just moved the tablet. But anywho, Halloween 5 actually starts shortly after my very first viewing of Halloween. It was the summer of 1997. I was spending pretty much that whole summer, you know, living with my family a lot out here. Um, When I moved away a year prior, I would come back for summers and holidays, stay with my family out where I live right now. That's where I saw Halloween for the first time, as I said in the earlier podcasts. My cousin Jessica got me into Halloween and ruined my life for that first year or two. I was going to say, like, do you still hold a grudge? In a joking way. Okay. In a joking way. I mean, all is cool, but, you know. So, some weeks afterwards, seeing the original Halloween, I was hanging out with her. Uh, My great aunt, who I was staying with for the summer, um, she was watching Jessica's brother, my my younger cousin, Brandon. He was a little boy at the time, like three or four. She was watching him over their house. So, I went out with her. And her friend Melissa, you know, strolled around town like kids used to do before, you know, you got the letter that a sex offender had moved into your neighborhood, and now you have to worry about or, everything. Or, or you're that woman who got arrested for letting a child walks the park by themselves. That's right. Or you're a child and you got arrested for playing on your front lawn. Yes. This was the 90s. We could still do that. So we walked around, you know, hung out at the nearby the nearest school in the field. That was actually... The day I, fir- I first was acquainted with Halloween 5 was the first time I ever tried cigarettes. You tried cigarettes? Yeah. I didn't know that. Haven't we all? No. You've never tried a single cigarette? Never no. had a curiosity? No. All right. Well, I have tried cigarettes. I'm sure I, many- I got, I got burned many, by one accidentally once, so that's why I was So like, have I. Many people, I'm sure, can, you know, agree. Like yeah. they've, Everyone just tried a cigarette except you because you're- I'm you're, an anomaly. I know that. Yeah. But we tried it. So we came back. And she said, I want to watch Halloween 5. And I'm like, nope, I'm out. No way. So I, I immediately left the room, went into like the, the my aunt and uncle's bedroom and just watched TV in that room. 
I put out, it happened to be a Monday, so Monday Night Raw was on, and it was the, it was the episode where uh, Paul Bearer revealed to Jerry Lawler that he was really the father of of Kane. Oh yes, Kane's my seed. And, and the way they did it was so brilliant that they never do in wrestling because nowadays in wrestling, and pretty much for the past fifteen years. The cameraman is basically just this invisible entity that follows wrestlers around whenever they happen to be walking in a straight line somewhere or discussing how badly they're going to beat up, you know, the good guy later on and the good guy gets beat up because he clearly isn't watching the show that's being broadcast to millions of people at home and tens of thousands of people in the arena. No, this was one where Jerry Lawler was still like the heel interviewer. He's interviewing Paul Bearer and then the cameraman basically said, okay, we're cut. He puts the camera down, but the camera's still running. And then the two of them sit down in like the corner of the frame and Paul Bearer tells the story of how Undertaker's mother seduced him or whatever. Oh my. Like this, it was, it, it made you believe that the cameraman was actually a television, a part of the television production and not just, you know, invisible entity that, that the villains. It was observing, uh, the a villains, silent observer. Yeah. Right. Like, like when, uh, Kurt Angle had, uh, Booker T's wife, Charmel, basically pinned down in a, in a near rape scene and the cameraman, like, this was like 12 years ago on SmackDown. Yeah. I, no, I remember that. And the cameraman doesn't immediately put the camera down and, down wrestle. and, run and say, help, Kurt Angle's trying to rape Charmel, you know? Yeah. So, continuing with our new wrestling podcast, um, <laughs> no, as, as I'm watching Monday Night Raw, as I'm watching Monday Night Raw, you know, my great aunt comes in the room and she says, "Oh, I'm, I can't watch that movie out there. There's nothing but killing. They're all so." She sat in there watch wrestling with me. <laughs> Every now and again, I'd you know go leave to go to the bathroom, run out to the kitchen, whatever. So I do have many early images of Halloween, and of course, just like the the false memories that we have in our brains, I remember it differently because memories decay. Uh, this is not some Berenstein, Berenstain Bears alternate reality thing. I do believe that. No, not a Mandela effect at all? No, not at all. I do believe, I, I believe that memory in your brain is like when you press fucking silly putty against a newsprint. Immediately, that imprinting is not 100% perfect and, and great and over time will decay. And, and you will remember things differently. That's actually a really nice analogy. Yeah. So I do, I remember seeing the scene and I mean, we'll, we'll get all, into all these later. The, the scene of when Jamie reached out to Michael, who was unmasked, and I remember it, you know, looking differently. I remember, I remember the couple of scenes I did see looking a little more raw and gritty, and Michael seeming like more of like the human serial killer instead of you know like the, the force or whatever that he is. Because this is the first movie was my only knowledge, and I had only seen it once at this point, so the memory was already not the freshest in my mind. And I remember when I watched Halloween originally for, for the first time, I kept leaving the room because <laughs> I didn't want to watch it. But and, and by that point, you kind of like you're perpetuating, you're perpetuating the idea of this guy is a physical manifestation, the boogeyman. And by the time you see this iteration, it's different and it's playing off different senses, a different sense of memory as compared to the first movie. Well, I'm talking for for me. I'm talking if you go from seeing the first movie once then to just seeing a couple of images of this, you don't have the full picture of, of the of Halloween and Michael Myers altogether as if you were if you watched them all in a row. Right. So my false imprint was, I swear to God that when she reached out to wipe the tear from his face, he, like, yelled in, like, agony. I don't know why I remember it that way. And then the next time when I came out there just to see what was going on, it was when he was in jail at the end. I swear I remember seeing, like, an officer, like, escorting him into his jail cell. Huh. False memories, man. I mean, you at home, think of how many memories you have in your life of movies the way you thought they were when you first saw them, and then years later you see them again. It's like, wait a minute, something seems different. Yeah, I, I, I could probably... I remember seeing the premiere of the of the Death of the Incredible Hulk TV movie on NBC, and I remember the scenes very fucking differently. Really? Yep. 
That's strange. I mean, I, I've had this kind of experiences, like going back and saying, I thought this would be a little different. Like, I can't, I, an example's not coming to mind, but I've had that kind of just that feeling in the gut of your stomach, like there's something wrong here, there's something different, something's amiss, and you can't quite put your finger on it, and it's kind of bothering you, and it's almost taking you out of the second time you're viewing it. Right. I mean, the, the human brain is what it is. And depending on, you know, its health, your health, whatever, and even just the flow of time, memories do decay, they change, and you remember things differently than what they were. So now after, next on Anything Goes, the philosophy, the best philosophy podcast on Long Island. Yes. <laughs> but my, my, my experience continued with, after that, you know, going to Blockbuster Video with my mom every weekend to rent movies or whatever, living with my stepfamily, and Halloween 5 was one of the ones I saw there. I would look at the back of this VHS copy. You'd see the picture of Michael holding, you know, holding the knife up like he does very much. He very much holds it up in a stabbing position throughout this film. There are some areas where it's like, why is he holding it like that? But there are others where it's like, okay, there is some kind of symbolism going on here, which we will explain. Yeah. But it was one shot of him holding up the mask. I remember not really thinking too much of it. That was like the one picture of the Michael Myers mask that did nothing for me. Excuse me. (laughs) Ooh, that tasted like Taco Bell. That was good. But why are you looking at me like that? You, you know what you're in for when you put a microphone in front of me. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the one thing that really stood the most out to me is I'm looking at his hands and the burn makeup. Now, this was before I had ever seen any other Halloween. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell happened to this guy? Is he just, like, just old and decaying? Like, is, is he just, like, a serial killer that's so insane he doesn't know to take a shower and his skin is, like, you know, he is, like, he has mild to severe plaque psoriasis or something? <laughs> like, what the fuck? And then there's the picture, of, you know, also on the back of this uh, VHS of Jamie. It's like there were quite a few like behind the scenes stills where like the camera was rolling over here, but there's a photographer over here, Mm -hmm. you know, that you see a lot. And it was her in the police station with her, you know, uh, what was it, a princess costume or whatever at that point that was all just like destroyed, covered in blood and tattered. And I'm like, what the hell? And the last one on there we were talking about just before from the ending when Loomis, you know, like basically defeats Michael and has him trapped up in this chain net. He like falls on him, which was supposed to be the end of dr loomis's character and it's just from the it's from a very flat front perspective and you just see the top of like dr loomis's head and like blood coming out of it and i'm like oh my god look at dr loomis what my my impressions of the movie when seeing this vhs was like shit is going to hit the fan here yeah it's called revenge of michael myers and it looks like it looks like vengeance it was one bloody vengeance right and 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 one thing i want to talk about the poster of it is we have like the new mask on it as well as uh, Jamie, um, in her... well, the poster is the original mask from the original Halloween. Right. It's basically the one they did with Halloween four. Yeah. Except, you know, instead of having that right half of it be all the way to the left, it's mm-hmm. in the middle, but right next to it, the mask is the left side of the mask is still cut off. There's a knife and then Jamie in the clown costume from four looking concerned, which I know, um, one of our listeners, like he has a huge problem with the mask of Halloween four and the poster where he thinks it's poster such false advertising for Halloween 4 because it's the original mask and the original um, Wallace house and it's like like neither of those appear in the movie and like I hear I'm like alright we don't see Jamie in the clown costume in here we we see her for like a few frames and like during like this weird flashback at the beginning of the movie and it's like I feel like this one's a little more false advertising than the other one granted I understand because I understand the idea for Halloween 4 is posters like is Halloween 3 was such a departure, and so many people had had such an uproar over the fact that Michael was not in it. So 
one of the key ways of getting back in there, other than the subtitle being Return of Michael Myers, like, let's sell him on the fact of what got him as the franchise in the first place. Let's have the original mask and the original Walls house there. There's no way people are not going to come to see the movie. Let's put something from the original in here to entice people back. Like, look, that's from the original. Yeah. I'll see this. And because that of Halloween 4 success and, like, marketing techniques like that, it, this one was rushed into production a year later. But before we get to that, my say, that, Truly that same year, if anything. Yeah. Like, in 88, it started. And, I mean, I feel like there's less false advertisement here because at least she's in the con costume in the flashback to the ending of Halloween 4. Right. So... <laughs> Something's there. Yeah. It was just like, I'm just, I like to bust chops a little bit. And the listener, he knows who he is. And I'm sure he'll message me for it about it. But my experience is much like a lot of the other Halloween movies, is just seeing it on AMC, um, like during the Halloween marathons during an October. Fear Fest. Fear Fest. And it was something, it was strange. Something seemed different about this one. I couldn't put my finger on it then. What was different about this movie compared to Halloween four or two, and, and then like its sequel, Halloween six? And, and, but I, I realized that after years of watching it, and especially upon this viewing, but the movie opens up, and we have these opening credits of a pumpkin gang, like flayed. It, it, it's a very close up at first. You don't know what it is. Something's being you know something's being stabbed violently. Yeah, with a very over the top sound design uh, accompanying it. Yeah, and as you as it the shots get wider, they're very like quick cuts. Very quick yeah, like cuts. a few frames at all. Yeah, as it sort of things sort of like zoom out and get. A, I don't want to say slower, but they kind of do zoom out a little. You realize it's a pumpkin that's being stabbed. And right. When the title Halloween Five comes up, there's no subtitle: The Revenge of Michael Myers. That I think was something added later on. As a uh, part of the marketing, you don't think that was like uh, you don't think it was just simply just called Halloween Five going into production. It might have been. I mean, does it say Revenge on the on the cover right there? It's uh, yeah. It says Revenge of Michael Myers on the cover right here. But look up at the spine. I have the the uh, Blu-ray from the 15 disc box set right here on the side. Just Halloween Five. Uh, but that may just be for display purposes. Yeah, it's easy. So you know which one you're you're identifying when you grab it. But, I mean, that's the thing. In Halloween 4, it definitely says the return of Michael Myers. Yes. Because like, that was part of the marquee value to get people to come into the theater. And along with, since you bring up Halloween 4, we have a recap of the ending of Halloween 4. Uh, very much like how Friday the 13th movies were, at least 2 through 4. Yeah, 2, 3, and 4. Were all through, like, they had recaps of the ending of the previous movies. And, like, hell, even, like, one of the most recent examples of that is, like, the Resident Evil movies. Where, like, like there was so the recaps got so long. I, I just th- threw up in my mouth a little with you saying the Resident Evil movies. Sorry. And, and the fact that, like, I think it's, like, by the last one, it's, like, like it was a dedicated, like, 10 minutes a recap of the entire series going and said, it's a 90-minute movie now cut down to 80 minutes of original content because 10 minutes of recap. Ridiculous. The, I mean, going back to the showing the ending of Halloween Four makes sense because, like, literally, like at the they started laying out the groundwork for making the next one right at, when Four came out. Um, to quote Mustafa Akkad, drunk off the success of Halloween Four, we began production on Halloween Five. That almost seems to become like a reoccurring thing, where what? like something becomes so successful, so they start making something that isn't. You know, the most, fi- not the most finalized, maybe not the best ideas. Iron Man 2. I, I like Iron Man 2. I, I enjoy parts of it. Like, uh, I prefer Iron Man 3 over 2. I know I'm, I'm a, I am the outlier when it comes to that. But it definitely seems like Halloween, like Iron Man 2 definitely seems to be 
a result of the success of the first Iron Man. I guess, but they were also setting up a whole cinematic universe at yeah, that time, like, too. Yeah, but the, the, the ending of the first Iron Man was so vague of what they could do, and the fact that, that uh, The Incredible Hulk was not a success, it was not a, it was kind of a flop compared to the budget. Like it, it made somewhat of a profit, but not as much as the first Iron Man, and not much as of what they expected. That's why we never got another Incredible Hulk movie after that Solo was, and that's why I think Iron Man 2 was greenlit, and then that's when the true seeds of the MCU was being laid out with Thor and First Avenger. Well, that's probably why they followed it up with another Iron Man, because this worked, and if we want to keep it going, let's... So, next on Anything Goes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. This real, truly isn't Anything Goes episode well, today. The last, the last episode that I did with Dakota was we, we did a retrospective on the entire MCU. We went through every movie. We gave ourselves ten minutes, and we just gave Holy our ideas. Shit. Yeah, so it's, it's like a three-and-a-half-hour episode of us. And, like, the funny thing is, like, I hadn't podcasted for, like, nearly two weeks. And so my voice was shot by the end of it because I was just not prepared to be speaking at such a egregious amount and the fact that some of the movies that Dakota had never seen so like I'm the only one talking for a solid 10 minutes without breaks anyway um, so the recap of Halloween 5 or 4 going into 5 we get a new few shots of things that were shot through 4 but we never seen especially the dynamite in the in the um, being dropped down the well yes after we show Michael Myers being shot down the mine shaft the well whatever it is from the ending of Halloween 4 there was a shot that was filmed I back in Halloween 4 of them dropping a thing of dynamite down it right but it wasn't used i think mm-hmm. the idea that michael myers has fallen in this we see it collapse onto him you know he, he's buried mm-hmm. as dr loomis says he's buried in hell where he belongs right thankfully they had that laying around because where it now deviates from the ending of halloween 4 is that once at the bottom of the mine shaft michael finds you know he starts trying to find a way out immediately like like you would before he's crushed under rubble yeah finds a little way out manages to crawl his crawl through it and get out to like a little river or a brook or something Mm -hmm. and he gets out of there just in the nick of time before what why are you laughing at me we'll never catch him no david there's an inlet ah there's always an inlet indeed (laughs) so he manages to get out of that mine shaft at the last second when the dynamite goes off and he's carried by the by the uh the current. The current, thank you, of the river. <laughs> yeah, and he's got his, he, thank God he has his life preserver underneath his, uh, his suit. I don't know, man. Don Shanks is like, he, 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 we have a new Michael Myers in this movie. George P. Wilbur comes back as a stuntman, but not as fully as Michael Myers. Which, I, when we were watching the credits, we realized that, and I asked the question, would that be a little awkward for George there? Like, being on the production, like, the success, like, but I'm not being brought back as Michael. I mean, I understand cash a check and you go home, but I, I, it would be just a question like, oh, I'm not good enough to play Michael. No, no, no. I have here, according to something, uh, he he did not express interest in returning in the role. Oh, okay. He decided to do, you know, be a stuntman because, I mean, the guy is a very accomplished stuntman. And like we said in the last one, he did go on to have a successful career as a news reporter in Quahog, Rhode Island. <laughs> yes. Under his real name of Tom Tucker. Right. It, with a fine mustache. <laughs> yes. But, yes, I, he I mean, was it, there as a... And I'm not saying it's like it's, it's not like the controversy re- replacing Kane Hodder with... Um, Ken Kersinger? Yeah. I mean, it's not as that bad, but, I mean, because I know, like, that caused an uproar of the, the recasting of Jason Voorhees for Freddy vs. Jason. Indeed. I mean, but at the same time, too, Kane Hodder had been, had a long tenure as Jason. This time, nobody had a long tenure. It was just one movie. Yeah. So George Wilbur is back there for stunt work. This time we have Donald Shanks. Um, 
I do think he does a, a very good job as Michael. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is based on where the writing and direction goes, which we will get into shortly. Mm. Uh, the the atmosphere of Halloween 5 really I, – I do feel like they, they are trying to bring back much of the atmosphere of Halloween 4. You do see Michael stalking people a lot more. Right. You do see these like slow burn scenes of like one person alone somewhere where Michael just was and you're wondering, oh, shit, is he going to get them next? It's very quiet. There's no music. There's no musical cues. There might be a false scare here and there when the tension is finally broken. But – or you many have, false scares when we get to the barn. Yes, but you have you have an atmosphere that is built on he could be anywhere, anytime, and you really feel it in this one. That's one of the things I like about this movie. Um, so yes, Michael has been floating down floating downstream like a turd. Rolling, in river. rolling, rolling on a river, rolling on the river. And finally, he comes across this weird shack at the at the end of the river that yeah. somebody built on the edge. He, Gets a hold of, I guess, what's a fishing net, climbs up, gets out. It turns out there's this old man living in the shack, like yeah. a permit. I don't know if that's legal. I don't know if that is... I mean, it's supposed... I'm sure it's, he's violating some kind of zoning law being there. It's supposed to be like a small Midwestern town. I didn't know they had fucking outskirts with hermits. Yeah. I mean, maybe in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. With all the crazy rednecks and total lawlessness that goes on. Right. Um, but, like, this is not the original person he's supposed to run into. He's supposed to run no. into somebody else called Dr. Death. You're supposed to run into this weird young man that... Kind Kind of lives out in the woods as a weirdo who's obsessed with the occult. Yeah. Obsessed with the occult. Has all these, like, rune stones and all these, you know, witchcraft memorabilia, if that's the right word. Yeah. Witchcraft memorabilia. He has a broomstick signed by uh, <laughs> Bette Midler, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, and uh, what, what was the last one? Kathy, Kathy Najimi? Uh, I forget how to pronounce her name. Naimi. Uh, I actually just rewatched it on Friday because I was like, I, like, that's how I, like, I got to work on Friday. I'm like, you know what? Just get through this shift. You get to go home and watch Hocus Pocus. You'll be fine. And that's what got me through the day right there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he had, had all three of them signed there. And no, he's not Dr. Death Steve Williams. It's no. Not, not the pro wrestler who was the one taking care of Michael Myers. Michael Myers wouldn't have beaten Dr. Death Steve Williams. <laughs> no, unless, especially during the Brawl for All. Anyway. Well, especially in 1989. Dr. <laughs> Death would have fucking pulled his eyeballs out of his head <laughs> and fucking eaten him. And, so, and, and apparently, like, because he's so obsessed with witchcraft, that's where the thorn tattoo is tattooed onto... Michael's wrist, and a year later, Michael wakes up and kills Dr. Death and, like, impales him with this giant stone on this altar that's in this little shack outside of Haddonfield, which we do see the close-up of... The impalement. The impalement. Of him and, lifting something up and bringing it down forcefully. Right, as well as the tattoo still there on Michael, because I guess Mustafa Akkad wanted the reshoot, and, I, and I, the whole hermit, the old man hermit, is the uh, a reshoot they did months later after, I guess, Tessa audience. I think the idea was that if Michael runs into this, you know, young person who's just as, like, evil and crazy, then it sort of lessens him. Like, you want to have this just this old man who just lives out in the middle of nowhere that takes him in, and then much like Danny Trejo in Rob Zombie's Halloween is the person that showed, you know, like, Basically takes care of him. He fucking shows how evil he is by killing him. Right. And so, yes, in the theatrical cut, though, since the character of Dr. Death is taken out, we're replaced by this old hermit with a little parrot. Michael finds his way into this guy's shack, attacks him, and then collapses. Like, like he's he's been defeated again. Yeah. Michael, it shows he can be defeated. He he is immortal Mm -hmm. for reasons we don't know yet. Yet. Or whatever, but he can be stopped briefly. 
So it cuts to Halloween a year later. Halloween Eve. Halloween Eve a year later. Sorry, October thirtieth. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Lloyd, after the ending of Hollow, the, the further ending of Halloween Four, which was not recapped in this. I mean, it, it kind of briefly is in her vision she has. Yeah, we get to see the actual slaughter of her stepmother, which we do not see in Halloween well, Four. We don't know if she actually dies. That's the thing because Rachel no, I, still I, talks about her parents being yeah, away. Yeah, and, and I think Donald says attacked. I don't think she. I think she yes. lived. So I think it's. Oh regardless, Jamie is now in the care of a children. There we go. Jamie is now in the care of a children's hospital. She can't speak mute. ever since th- that incident where she attacked her stepmother and was holding the knife, you know, the the scissors. Sorry, like Michael was at the top of the stairs at the ending of Halloween Four. She has been pretty much rendered mute. Can't speak. Is still herself, but has these like horrible visions of him. She's hooked up to like an EKG. One night, Halloween Eve, it's a bad rainstorm. She's having these, you know, horrible visions and dreams. She recaps what happened at the ending of Halloween 4, having a vision of her putting the clown mask over, walking into the bathroom and stabbing her stepmother, which we believe was filmed during Halloween 4 and just trimmed. Yes. Because it makes sense. Yeah. And she is woken, you know, trying to scream, but her voice can't come out. So the attending nurse comes in, you know, tries to comfort her, and she's just having to freak out. And all of a sudden, she kind of, like, snaps out of it, but just starts looking ominously. And it cuts to Michael, who's like sort of like twitching. He's he, I, I I don't know. I guess the hermit stores you know unconscious people. Yeah, doesn't doesn't go for help. Doesn't get a police officer or anything. He's the best roommate ever. I don't have to feed him. I don't have to clean up after him. Yeah, he, he, he just lays there all day. He's like the couch guy from half. I was baked. just gonna say he's like the guy on the couch from half baked. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> That's one part where we see the the cracks in the writing start because this movie was made. In under a year, released pretty much a year apart, I think Mustafa Khan said in one interview, that's on the 25th, uh, the 25 Years of Terror DVD, he wanted it in time for like a video release of Halloween 4. Like, okay, now you could buy this movie on home video, because VHS was the thing then. Buy it on home video, enjoy it, now go see the new one. Right. Um, the script, it's original writer, um, what the hell's the guy's name? Shem, Shem Bitterman, that sounds like a, a uh, bully yeah. somewhere. Uh, his idea, and a few people did uh, echo these sentiments, including Donald Pleasance and Danielle Harris, that he wanted Jamie to be the evil one now. Right. Because, um, what that was, Danielle Harris said that, you know, the way it ended, she thought she was going to be the killer in the next one, or at least, as, as she says, at least a sidekick, you know? Yeah. Scary, but fun. Even Donald Pleasance expressed that. There was disagreements with Mustafa Akkad, so he was let go. Uh, writer Michael Jacobs was brought in. And for director, they got a man by the name of Dominique Othonen Gerard. This was only his second feature film. Right. His first one, he co-directed. Yeah. Um, Dominique was brought in because he actually met uh, Deborah Hill at the Sundance Film Festival recently, and she put him in t- touch with Akkad. Mm-hmm. So that was like Dan- uh, Deborah Hill's. I almost said Daniel Harris. That was Deborah Hill's last contribution to the Halloween series, right? Before her untimely passing, so yeah. he came in. I I have to give him a lot of the credit for a lot of the a lot of the new avenues we go down because we we really tread new ground for Halloween here. It yes, we do. It isn't trying to re- redo like Halloween four. Like that's a big complaint about Halloween four. It's just, it's just a repeat of Halloween one. Dominique, he, he he is a very ambitious director, as we can tell. Very ambitious person. Very enthusiastic. Kind of quirky. Yeah, but I think he, that's he, a bit, he's that's, a he's a Swissman. Yes, but I think it's like those kind of. Quirks that kind of bring it brings so much personality to it to this movie, and I think when we take you take a step back and look at, it, I think 
it's more you sh- it's more appreciable than just being a paint by numbers filmmaker. Yes, uh, and the thing is, I'm very happy when you know at least I- I'm forgiving when you try to take chances with movies. Um, yes, because I-, I I see the effort that's put there. Yes, and this I feel like with Halloween to separate it just from being you know Friday the Thirteenth Part Five where. A guy in a hockey mask kills a bunch of kids that are camping again. You yeah, know. that's why I, I give. You got to tread new ground. I give Steve Miner so much credit. I mean, that's why I think I like Friday Thirteenth Part Two more than one. Granted, he had a much bigger budget compared to Sean Cunningham, but I think Steve Miner's a better filmmaker than Sean Cunningham. I think Friday Thirteenth Part Two is a better made movie than First Friday Thirteenth, and then you have the rest of the sequels that, like, sure, you had good filmmakers with them, especially four. I think had some. Uh, um, Especially that one shot, that one crane shot where it's just like everybody leaving the grounds of part three and just kind of lingers there. And like that's good decision making. In the dark, in the pitch dark. Yeah. And then, but I, like, but there is so much, it could be so easy to go down the realm of just workmen and just like journeymen. Like, yeah, we'll just like, we come in here, we bring in the blood and the scary lights. Yeah. And we're out of here. But no, Dominique, I think, does bring some certain kind of personality to this movie. He's the, one that, he's the one that brought all the, the rune stuff and the Curse of Thorn. Like, like before, the, the Curse of Thorn thing really isn't defined in this movie. Basically, mm-hmm. I did it again. Freaking, I listen, I finally, for the first time, listened to a podcast I did, and I'm trying to catch myself from not saying the same words over and over again. I just did it. So I'm going to hook up an electric machine to myself. Can it be to your nipples? Like, sure, why not? If yeah. that's what gets you off, because I was going to give you the control, but I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know it was that kind of podcast. Anything goes. The the, the why best sex podcast, the best BDSM podcast <laughs> out of Long Island. We've had like four different subjects on this podcast now, so anything truly does go. But when I Michael beaten this into the ground, okay? Yes, when Michael wakes up, we see him like sort of turn his arm around, and right on his wrist, there's what looks like it looks like a letter P, a very sharp letter P. Yeah. That is actually an old Celtic rune for Thorn, mm-hmm. um, w- which I'm going to elect we not go too far into Thorn in this movie because we will say that for Halloween 6. Oh, yeah, we will. And, and how Daniel Farrens was able to take something that, that Dominique Othan and Gerard just, I, I guess... Because had... co- Dominique co-wrote this as well. He rewrote some of the script as well going into this. Yes, in 5. He was like a co-writer with Michael Jacobs. Right. And a lot of the things on set that he wanted to do, also, you know, he 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 clashed a lot with a lot of people. That's and, and fair. He, yeah, and I mean, he he basically had to he did it again, motherfucker. He had, I said the word basically again. No, oh. he had it's to not being so basic. He had to win over the trust of of Akkad. He had to win over the trust of. He basically win over. <laughs> you know, there's certain words you're gonna have to cut. You're gonna you're gonna you repeat over there. Yeah, so he had to gain the trust of everybody. He had to gain involved. the trust of everybody because he was a very untried filmmaker at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, it was trial by fire for sure. Yes, and a lot of the new ideas he was bringing weren't... People may not have had the most enthusiasm for right. just because of what we were saying about making the paint-by-numbers Halloween, making it more slow-paced. Sometimes he wanted to bring in a faster pace. Yeah, and, and faster, more intense. Faster and more intense. No, but I mean, but not overuse it. Not faster no. and more intense for everything in the movie. Yes. I mean, we, we, we will get into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I give him a lot of the credit. He's the one that came up with the Celtic. And it, interestingly enough, the Celtic rune thing is heavily touched on, which we will also get into in the Halloween novelization from the original, mm. whose entire prologue is about uh, a uh, – dis- I think we spoke about this very briefly, but about a man in Ireland who was – who uh, he was like this disfigured, weird person 
whose affections by the princess were shunned, and he killed her and her lover, and then was murdered by the town, and his remains cursed, and that your spirit will walk the earth forever, you know? Mm. And that's what the novelization says about Michael Myers. So there's always been this Celtic influence, even with the title Halloween, you know? Yes. There's always been this Celtic curse influence Sowin and everything. Yes. And, and truthfully, the, just the simple fact that like so many people made the exact same, had the exact same idea going into all these, I just find interesting. Right, and then we have the we have the moment where the psychic connection that we were hinted at at the end of Halloween Four is fall through. That Jamie's now seeing and feeling whatever Michael is doing at this point, especially when he's incredibly emotional when he's killing somebody. So he he has she has a telepathic connection with him now. Yes, and then then Loomis has kept a, a close eye on her. And ever since, like, using her as kind of, like, almost a barometer of, or, like, almost like a radar, trying to find out where Michael is and what he's doing and trying to stop him. Uh, the Myers Index on the Weather Channel. Yes. And we were reintroduced to Rachel the following day. Um, well, continuing with that previous scene, Jamie starts having freakouts when she sees the vision of the hermit being murdered. Mm -hmm. She pulls a little chalkboard that she communicates on, so, like when Homer Simpson had his jaw wired shut. Yes. He's coming for me. And then she starts, like, spasming, having seizures. So the doctors are bringing her out on this gurney. Like, she's choking to death. they got to operate on her. They get her into the operating room with absolutely no protective gear, nothing to keep away germs. And they're about to cut her fucking throat open because they think there's a blockage in there. Loomis stops them and says, no, she has something to tell us. And certainly after the, after everything calms down from the killing of the hermit, she she snaps out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, Loomis, Loomis knows what's going on. The next day, Rachel comes to visit. Jamie, she, you know, survived everything of the year prior. Right. Comes to visit. Uh, and then outside the window, banging on the window, is Rachel's friend, Tina. Yes, Tina. Played by... Uh, Played by Wendy Kaplan. Wendy Kaplan. Now, Tina has kind of gone down history for Halloween fans as possibly being one of the most annoying characters in the entire franchise. And I can't really disagree with that sentiment uh, nothing against wendy kaplan whatsoever she she made a choice and the director said yes go with that so let me put it this way i was happier when buster rhymes got stabbed than when tina got stabbed well yeah i mean i, I think buster rhymes will go down in history probably one of the worst As the worst halloween character ever i'm more, going to say it right now buster rhymes is the worst fucking than, halloween character worse ever. than william Forsyth in halloween uh, yes at least William Forsyth had some interesting one-liners I plan on using next time I'm at the fucking local, you know, dive titty bar or whatever. <laughs> uh, and so and that's not William Forsyth. That's not, that's, that's not William Forsyth's fault either. It's the fault of the writer. Yes, um, because we've seen William Forsyth do fantastic work. And so Tina's kind of like a very bubbly person very loud very kind of obnoxious and just the kind of like the live in the moment kind of personality she's every teen you see at the mall that you want to hit with a two by four <laughs> like dr loomis at the end of this movie and yell die die <laughs> now take that type of personality amp turn up the knob as far as it can go and rip it the fuck off Tina is always animated, always on. I get, I get what she, yes, she, she brings Jamie like a little dress for the Halloween pageant. And, and then brings, starts, brings Max for their dog. So the, like, the new dog, Max, since the last one died. That's a smart thing to do. You know, there's a killer after you. What's the first thing we do? Let's go to the pet store. You know, when they get, when the, when the pet store does, 
or at least the animal shelter, I hope, does a background check. Oh, you're Michael Myers' uh, niece? Okay, we're not going to sell any dogs to you. No, but then, but then again, no Your family has a bad record with animals. Yeah, but, you know, like... The the over saturation of animals in those shelters they probably they're probably giving those animals away sadly. Uh, I don't know. Any reputable shelter wouldn't hand hand anything over. Yeah, especially I wouldn't hand you over an ant farm if you were related to Michael Myers. <laughs> I wouldn't give you a pet rock. <laughs> I wouldn't give you sea monkeys. <laughs> Imagine like them leaving the shelter. Like Charlie Brown, I got a rock. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And so, speaking of rocks, somebody throws a brick through the window. Oh, yeah, Loomis bursts in, wants to know what's going on. Loomis... I heard fun was going on in here. Yeah. Oh, my God, we will get into Loomis. This, this, I, honest to God, you could say what you want about how great Donald Pleasance has been in these other movies. I feel like this is almost like his, his magnum opus. This is, this is his, the character of Dr. Loomis. This is when the shit has hit the fan too many times. And he's so crazy and obsessed with it that he's not going to let it happen again. That he just goes off the fucking rails. Yeah, because by this point he's probably already he's probably living in Hanfield. No one wants him there. Every time he every time another character is on scene, you can tell they just want him to go the fuck away. Well, yeah, and even the fact that we heard in the commentary track that like at one point in one of the documentaries for Halloween Four, like him and his girlfriend were watching dailies and they were kind of inebriated and making jokes at it, and then here. Daniel Harris um, recounts a story when they like later on when Don Pleasant is talking very close to her. It's like she notices like he's had alcohol in his breath, and so I can imagine as an actor dealing with a kind of someone inebriated Don Pleasant on uh, set that you probably don't want to feel uncomfortable, don't want to be around him. It probably just kind of plays into their performance. I wonder if he was motivated by the script because the fact that the, the you know the script has this more unhinged Doctor Loomis. That's, this is the one thing this this very rushed excuse me script I felt hit spot on was Doctor Loomis's character in this one. Right. That everything he has feared has come true now twice. You know he's paid the price with his body. So many people have died as a result. It won't ever stop. Maybe even in his heart he feels like he'll never stop. But he always has to just be there and try. And, and what they're doing is just in vain. And no one will cooperate with him or anything. Everyone just wants him to go away. Just go away. <laughs> go away, fat man, as Stewie would say. So that, yeah, at the orphanage, someone throws a brick through her uh, Jamie's window with a note taped to it that says the, the evil, evil child, child must die. die. So the town is on edge. Everyone's on edge. Which is something we do not see any follow-up on that. No, not really. I mean, I mean, you, like, if we saw like an angry mob outside the hospital during like the pageant later, maybe that could have been something they could have played into. And it turns out Jamie was really at Planned Parenthood. I went there. No, <laughs> oh shit. my god! Wow. All right. Um. So yes, yeah, so, like I feel I like it's nothing a, with picketers out there. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I thought this was the plane. But sorry, no, <laughs> this isn't it. This is, this is just the devil girl. Oh, let's stick around anyway. Which reminds me, like one of my favorite jokes is a throwaway gag in Dogma, where it's Janine Garofalo going into work at the Planned Parenthood place, and um, Walt Flanagan and Brian Johnson, the guys who are best friends with Kevin Smith, who've been in the majority of their movies, and they do their home podcast, uh, Tell Them Steve Dave, and they got they're on Comic Book Men. Janine Garofalo is walking into the into the clinic. And um, Brian Johnson pops up to one side. Like, You're going to hell, you fucking baby killer! And then Wolf Ladiger pops to the other side. Like, tell him, Steve Dave. Tell him, Steve Dave. He's got his he's got his, his sign and hand. He's just like gripping it like a madman. He's just looking so 
like goonish right there. I gotta get the Clark's animated series DVD set. I, I've been meaning to buy that for like fifteen years. Now. I thought the I, I could have sworn you had that. I did. Never owned it. Never owned it. It must have been Renee that must have had it then. Because I've seen only a little bit of it, and I thought I watched it with you because we we sampled some of the animated series. Me coming over here on various Sundays throughout the years, and so Rachel confides in Doctor Loomis saying, "Like, why can't they just leave her alone? She's just a child. She has nothing to do, she has nothing to do with him." When Loomis knows that, like, no, there's more to their relationship than just blood. There, there's something. There's some kind of connection there, but I, th- I don't think he wants to say it just yet. At least he doesn't want to worry Rachel about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is one of the few moments of, like, levity that Dr. Loomis has where he's, like, acting like a human, you know, talking to someone, like, a like 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 try, trying to give good advice, not just, like, demanding help. Yeah. Demanding help to solve this problem that no one no one wants to, wants to believe. It's not that they don't believe, it's that they don't want to, you know. It is a small town. Ordinary people, they don't want to deal with this evil thing, you know. They dealt with it once. 11 years prior they dealt with it the previous year they just want it's it, it's the covering your eyes you know sticking your fingers in your ears and blah, 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 blah. that's like, what the town basically does head in the sand and pretending it's never like never happened let's just ignore it and it'll go away if if you people go it will go away yeah that's what they think you know yeah like, like the whole thing the source is ba- of the problem if batman goes away these super villains will stop trying to kill all of us right you know exactly those kind of deniers and so we follow rachel back to her house it's the same house from Halloween Four. They st- they nice continuity there. Production stayed in Salt Lake City for this. For really, what's known as the Thorn trilogy, four, five, and six. Production was all in Salt Lake City. A lot of continuity between them. Um, we will talk about locations shortly, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, the the Carruthers house returns, and we. Uh, Rachel just kind of like typical kind of 80s slasher bimbo stuff. Like, oh, we see her in the shower. Yep, she's got her parents are away. Which I don't know why they'd go away, especially on Halloween. Yeah, that's kind of stupid. Uh, maybe uh, maybe they were trying to get like screw you, you people, deal with it. We're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, like maybe like maybe like for the mother, it's a little too hard to be around there. So we were like, all right, maybe we should just get away. Take your children with you. Yeah, especially if call the, ta- the call the school and say you were taking them the day off. Yeah, and especially if uh, if you you have a town that's slowly turning against you, like maybe you want to protect them. Maybe you know what would have made that interesting if there were a for sale sign on their front lawn when she walked up to it. I mean, like you could have inferred so much to just leave that to the imagination of what what's going to happen to their family and what's their plans or what they're trying to do, trying if they're trying to get out of Haddonfield or not. Because maybe a for sale sign and something like like uh, a new low new low price on it or whatever, something showing that like these people cannot sell this house, no one will buy it, right? Because of how. The you reputation know, of they have. B- because, yeah, the reputation that they have. So Rachel goes home. She's getting ready for the big Halloween party at the Tower Farm that night. Mm-hmm. You know, She hops in the, pops on a record as loud as she can, puts the dog out, hops in the shower. But as she's walking up to her front porch, we see a familiar figure standing in the in the uh, shrubs. Yep, it's, Mi- it's Michael who's watching her like he always is, especially through the same windows like he did last year. And Jamie starts seeing images of... Michael approaching Max, their new dog, their, I think it's a Rottweiler or a Doberman? Doberman, I think. Doberman, yeah. Doberman's, I always mix up the, the... Similar, similar fur color. Yes, yes. But like brown Do- and black. Doberman is like predominantly skinnier than Rottweiler. So yes, in, smaller in, and skinnier. In, in a longer, like, snout, snout of, of a face, or a head, I should say. And 
Why the long face? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's all the horses I meet. Um, <laughs> like Sarah, he met Sarah Jessica Parker once, and he said, "Why the long face?" And then Matthew Browder came up to, "Hey, you can't say that." I'm like, listen, listen, Mister No Personality anymore. Leave me alone. Um, and you rode her out of there. <laughs> Um, and so Jamie she thinks- gave her a bag of oats, and it was true love. <laughs> she left Matt- Matthew Broderick. And she wrote a pl- her blog on Sex and the City about it afterwards. And so Jamie sees that Michael's about to kill her her dog, and she draws a mouth and like. And we introduced to Billy the kid with the stutter who has kind of an affection for the, ch- the, the children at the hospital are preparing decorations and, and banners and stuff for the for their big Halloween party that night. Right. As well. Jamie, she sees this, and because she can't talk, I don't know why she didn't write down, help me, my sister is about to be killed. Yeah. Instead, she starts drawing, like, with a black and red magic marker. A mouth and blood. Like a mouth and, and like, the, 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 like, like, the mouth of a dog like or some scary monster thing. Like, it right. didn't look like a dog. And, and Very descriptive. Yep. Billy, Loomis sees her through the window trying to freak out because he's always watching her. Yeah, they, like, like, how would you feel if you had the parents of any of the kids that's at that hospital and then you, you got uh, Old Man River just watching it on the... Uh, you got Old Man burn marks. Yeah, like, uh, that's something I would have filed a complaint with, with the hospital. Like, of, like, I do not feel comfortable with my child being there with uh, Dr. Loomis hanging around. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> Am I thinking too much deep, too deep into this? No, I mean these are these are the little details that are kind of left out because, as we said, the script was written and as everyone has said, the script was not really polished. No, and the fact that this is also shot in like less than seven weeks. Yeah, it was it was it was a, it was an express job that it sh- that does show in many places. Right, and some places it does, and some places it does, but. Um, they realize what what Jamie was trying to say, and they call Rachel. Rachel hops out of the shower. Michael's gets in, the, in the house. Yeah, at this point, he's in the house. And this is part of what I like is that like the um, the slow build atmosphere. Michael's in the house. There is a race against time to get Rachel's attention and to, to warn her to get out. We see through Michael's pr- perspective the whole time. Her in the shower, and boy, do we see her in, in the shower. You know, a very right. thin shower curtain, especially yeah. on Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I guess like they were not prepared for how clear, clear things would look on uh, high definition. Because at, at certain points, that's movie obviously, like you mentioned, with the shower curtain being so thin. And then there are certain points in this movie where we see several lights in shots. Yeah, we see the actual light like, like there's one, like the, there's, 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 a, there's a, a big <laughs> wide exterior shot of the hospital, like. You see a giant light, like like what, like a ten k, like on the <laughs> uh, uh, on the sidewalk. I'm like, wow, wow, and that's like like you put your thumb up to it, like the size of your thumb, like on the, the in the bottom right corner of your screen, and then when the guy Mike is is waxing his car, you see the light over it reflecting off his off his hood, off his hood, and then when he follow him around the the hood of the car, we see the camera in the reflection of like the back half of the mirror, and I'm just like, wow, I. I I don't know if it's just like it's what happens. Yeah, exactly. Because like, like I'm not, I'm totally guilty of that myself. But Rachel is saved by a phone call. She runs out. She f- realizes Max is gone. Yeah, He's gotten loose. So she goes out, finds her neighbor, and she's wearing nothing but a towel at this point. So the neighbor, I'm sure, is thrilled. Yeah. Uh, the police arrive on the scene. Yeah, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah, these two, these two cops are. Their nod to uh, the two bumbling cops from Last House on the left. Yeah. Complete with, like, f- funny music whenever they're on screen. I mean, like, you could have only... The only way this could have been worse, if they had the bulk and skull theme of Power Rangers as they... It's pretty fucking close to that, to begin with. And so whenever... I was like, I roll my eyes every time these two are on screen. 
I, I, I get their purpose. I, I think maybe like how Dominique like added like the little like noises and like gag sounds like underneath their like their like, interactions, and then the fact that Dominique told them to walk like penguins, like whenever they're in and out of frame, there's like kind of like waddle back and forth. Like I think it's just a little. It was a nod to a to a classic. So yeah, and, and, and really realistically, after the entire police force was wiped out in the last movie, what do you got to work with? That's true, and the fact that like. Go back and watch Last House and Left. It is totally jarring between like, like this to- a tonal shift. Yeah, much be- between like the, the hardcore horror of torture and the villains have their own catchy theme song. Yeah, and then and then the cops like like the the country bumpkin theme they got going on there. And then when we cut back to the the sad depressive stuff when the song and the road leads to nowhere as a young girl's disemboweled in the woods. Yeah, like oof, I love listening to the foreshadowing station as the cinema stop has decreed. And so the cops have shirts Rachel's him a lot. We like that guy. Yeah. Uh, so the cops have searched Rachel's house, and they found no traces of Michael Myers whatsoever. Or the dog. But Max comes running up. He was down the, the dead animal. He killed some dead animal and brought it back. Yeah, and like, oh, you she did so. unfazed by that. I'd be screaming. I'm, not, I'm squeamish. Yeah, and just pulling up like a... Um, I've, I've seen so many pictures of, like, cats just bringing in dead birds and everything and mice. And like, oh, like, hey, for effort of being a killer, but like... Well, they bring it back to you because they want to show you how good they did. Yeah. It's like how my dad's cat, when he was growing up, like, cat would just disappear for days on end, and they'd just show back up with new battle wounds from whatever it fought during the weekend or, or something. So, like, raccoons and whatnot. So, like, Dan was just end up doing that. I heard stories. My dad's old cat, he was actually declawed, but he could kick any animal's ass in the neighborhood. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And so Rachel goes back in the house. Thinking everything's safe, getting ready. Yeah. Calls Jamie and says, oh, everything's all right. I love you. Yeah. And But then while she's getting ready, she just feels some kind of odd presence in the house. And then Michael is actually in the closet while she's getting changed. Michael, come out of the closet. He can stick that knife in you. And because Rachel realizes um, a picture, a photograph. I want to stick it over and over again until he is through with you. you. Uh, that uh, of Jamie's been smashed and his blood in it. What she realizes that that's when Michael strikes and kills Rachel. Kills Rachel, stabs her with scissors. How do you feel about this? But killing off the protagonist of the last one. Uh, tr- truly, I do get the point of all this. Like, like it is. It's it's an ambitious scene. It, it, it's so well paced. I really, I really feel like everything involving from the time you see Michael standing in the woods watching her get in till until that. I feel like it is well paced. I feel like it is very Halloween. Where it's something where this guy is, you know, doing this long drawn out stalking, sort of playing with his food. Right. Lures her in with the whole broken picture and then strikes. This movie's called The Revenge of Michael Myers for a reason. Yeah. He, he has been beaten in the last one. And now he's he's really, like, he's not fucking around anymore. No. And it was different from, because the initial idea was that he was going to shove these scissors down her throat. And so, and... I think like, I think the rate um, the actress's name Ellie, was- uh, Ellie Cornell she she nicks the scissors down the throat but she went she okayed with the stabbing with them yeah the thing the idea of that as explained by Dominique Alton and Gerard was that 
to kill off such a major character is to show that no one is truly safe. Right. No, it's it's a total like. Um, and this isn't a Halloween resurrection where she was contractually obligated to show up for five fucking minutes to be killed. No, it, it, no, it, it's trying to play off the psycho model of like killing off your protagonist of at least just a previous movie. That we have some kind of a... Killing off an important character. Yeah, and so early as well. Not like waiting for the third act or anything, but no, like, this is still in the first act that this happens. This is the first 20 minutes. Yeah, and so... It's, it's a really good setup. Yeah, and then... It, 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 it was debated. A lot of people don't like it. I, I truly have no problems with it. I understand where he's going, and I, I applaud its ambition. Yes, it's just the only unfortunate thing is that the character we spend the most of the time with now... Is Tina. Is wonderful, crazy bitch Tina. Yeah. Tina Tina does make her way after, after you know, Michael's killed Rachel, does make her way to the Carruthers' house. And this is what we were talking about before, where characters are in areas that Michael has been by themselves, and we don't know what their fate is going to be. Right. Uh, Tina manages to get in. Apparently, she's trusted enough by the family to where she knows where the, the key above the, the back door is. Mm. You know, Max is still there. He's all right. He's in the backyard, but she, she can't find Rachel. She's walking around the house, looking around. It's very well done. It's very slow-paced, very quiet. There's not much, you know, to it. So Tina, you know, goes – and Tina does, like, feel that presence when she walks in the master bedroom. We see yeah, she feels there's something like, off about it. She knows something's wrong. You know, lays down on the bed with a little stuffed animal, and all of a sudden we get a false scare of the doorbell ringing, scaring her. Uh, she runs down. No one's at the front door. Which, that is a creepy moment. Yeah, like like we're still being led to believe. And like, my, it could be Michael just playing tricks on her at yeah, this point. Yeah, we we're being led to believe that, oh, my God, he's, you know, he's going to get this girl next. Like, he's really after everyone. Uh, it turns out it was... Her friend, Samantha. Yes, who came, who to, the came back- to the back door when no one answered the front door right away. Impatient much, but okay. Yep, and she's just as loud, annoying, and quirky <laughs> as Tina, but maybe not, to, maybe not to that level of severity. No, but like, it's just like, it's no, like, okay. Can you name me a personality trait that's differentiating between Samantha and Tina? Other than the fact that she's blonde. Um, the volume. Samantha's not as loud as Tina. Okay. Because I'm trying to, like, because I feel like they're just so similar. There's, like, no real distinct qualities about them. I mean, at least the one thing about the first Halloween is that, well, at least with the three main girls, you can tell who they are personality-wise, and you immediately can say, like, oh, Lori, she's the quiet, kind of reserved, and kind of bookish type. Annie's the kind of tomboy of it. And then you had... um the hoe, <laughs> for lack of a better But at the same time, are those not just Sexy tropes? Sexy freed Linda. At the same time, are those not just tropes, stereotypical tropes? Well, only because, like, Halloween was kind of the one that cemented it. it. It was, but at the same time, how many times can you also repeat that? Oh, no, yeah, I'm just saying, like, not say like, it just feels like it, it's a missed opportunity for to set up Samantha and, uh, and as a diametrically opposed somewhat to Tina. Yes, I understand, like, the, you you spend time with enough people, like, your personalities start to gel and you become very much like them. I mean, even to the point, like, that you start, like, finishing each other's sentences or laughing in a certain way. And so I, I get that. And then... I feel like you don't need diametric opposition. I, I was fine with the two of them being so alike. I just wish that they weren't so... Uh, I just wish that the volume wasn't so turned up. Right. I just wish that they, they toned those characters back a little more. And so Tina goes to visit um, Jamie. Yes. As they leave, though, 
uh, Tina looks back at the house once more, and in the window we do see a figure in there that Tina almost almost can make out until you know Sam just says, "Oh, come on, let's go!" Like we know it was Michael watching. We know her. it was Michael watching her. We see it from his perspective during the cuts, but Sam basically bre- breaks her moment of like, "What? What am I looking at? I'm seeing things," you know? Yeah. That's kind of the look Tina was given, like, oh, my God, I'm seeing things. I'll leave. So they go to the hospital, and, the, and while talking there, walking through the grounds, going up to the entrance, um, the uh, they're talking about, you know, the party and boys and how Halloween should be banned in Haddonfield. Yeah, because of all the bad stuff that's happened yeah. throughout the years. But in the background, we kind of see what looks to be a very familiar figure. Yes. Now, the reason why we don't say outright that it is Michael is because, like, we do believe that it is to be Michael because eventually Jamie sees the figure and sees him with his mask and everything and runs. However, his face is obscured by the trees. He's when he's we holding, see when we see he's, uh, he's not holding a knife. He's holding like a gardening tool, or whatever. We're just so conditioned to see that if someone's standing in the background, kind of still wearing navy coveralls, it's the fucking killer. Yes, in, the, in this move in this movie series, right. And, like, before before we see Jamie run away from it, we see um, Tina yell after her, her boyfriend, Mike, who's driving. He's coming to pick her up. Pick her up in his black or navy blue, like, a Camaro. It's a black Camaro, I think. Um, he's, he's your typical, like, 80s, you know, hot rod type of guy. He's got, like, a little bit of a biker look, leather jacket. Boots, yeah. Driving a fancy car, speeding too fast. Of course. Wearing sunglasses all the time. Has, like, a grumpy, grouchy, pseudo-bad boy. Attitude. Are you sw- are you trying to find me or, or Mike? Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, because I wear sunglasses and a leather jacket. I don't have a grouchy to me. You wear your sunglasses at night. You don't drive a car like that. Did you get those pedals off of your uh, car? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. It was it, luckily the, the rainstorm for the past couple of days have helped me out. So, with that. so something else did it for you. Yes, you bum. <laughs> no, I need to wash the car inside and out. Bumzilla coming to board downtown <laughs> Tokyo. I'm gonna bore the pagoda to fall over. Like that's how I was like, ah, it'll fall over itself to get away from you. (laughs) And your laugh will be its roar (laughs) instead of. (laughs) Will I breathe fire? No, you'll just breathe bullshit. (laughs) You'll breathe puns. Okay, and people's skin will melt off when you when you. And so Jamie is startled up in her room. She notices that the same figure standing in the brush behind all these trees carrying this gardening tool. Holy shit, it's Michael Myers looking at her through the window. And walks into the building. And she, she starts running away because she's like, oh, my God, he's here. We get a little, we get a little quick, like, piano. Well, it's, it was written on a fucking piano. A, little, a, a piano rendition rather than a synthesizer yes, rendition of a it. A little quicker, quicker rendition of the Halloween theme, building up suspense here. This is where... In the director's commentary, Dominic Oth and Gerard said he had to really, he had to, he had to really, I don't want to say fight with Mustafa Akkad, but he really had to argue his point into how he wanted that scene filmed. Mustafa wanted it to be much more slow-paced. Dominique wanted it to be much more fast-paced to show that the danger is here. Yeah, and how he illustrates that is the fact it's handheld. Mm-hmm. This is like the first time in the Halloween franchise that a handheld camera has been used. Like, well, at least from the protagonist's point of view. Yeah, I mean, like, because we've seen, like, steady cams or padding glides. We've seen crane shots. We've seen dolly shots. We've seen tripod shots or sick shots. But it's the first time where we've seen, like, low Y-angle shots with handheld, like, racing after Jamie as she's running through the hospital and trying to evade this pursuant. Yeah, she goes down the stairs. 
tries to go out the door, but then sees a shadowy figure behind the 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 um, what was it like hazy glass window? Yeah, it's like uh, like... Turn, turns around, goes down the stairs further into the basement, is is running through, and we see this figure follow her down as she's getting to the edge of the frame. Like on the right, we see this figure coming down on the left. Yeah, she goes through into the boiler room. Like get, she gets through like all these like bed sheets that are set up, gets into the boiler room, hides in there. Hide, manages to find a little corner to hide. We see this person walk in. They they um, walk up to her, and it turns out it was actually it it, it actually was the gardener outside. Yeah. The figure we saw whose face was obscured earlier was actually the gardener out there, mm. or was it? Did yeah. Jamie really see Michael? Was that in her head, or was that was she projecting the gardener him onto the gardener, or was that really him? We don't know. Right. It shows that something's fucked up. Jamie's not right. Yeah. And, and like, like it's how do you feel about that? Like the fact that he was shot handheld and in kind of a little more visceral fact rather than slow. Think of like compare this scene to when Laurie's in the basement, Halloween two, trying to get away from Michael. Compare those two scenes together. Which do you think is more effective? Um, I'm going to say this one because that one was trying to copy the fir- the the big chase of the first one when Michael struck for the first time in Halloween. Mm-hmm. This one wasn't the big chase scene. It was this was this was more setups where Jamie understands that Michael's truly back and could be after her, and now and now she's like envisioning that he's always there. You know, there's something going on ahead. Was he really there? Was he not? It, it, it was very much a false scare. I'm not talking like a false jump scare, but a false scare that had a lot of presence and atmosphere to it. Right. It's letting you know the danger is back, and it's only a matter of time before it gets you. Mm. That's what I liked about it. And in the next scene where even you know Loomis furthers this, where he goes into Jamie's room you know, yelling at her, going nuts, and she's like cowering in the corner of her bed, you know, saying... Oh my God! Help me! You know, you know where he is. Why? And are he's you terrifying her at this point. He is scaring the shit. This is this is Loomis fucking unhinged, and it's brilliant. Yeah, he's Please. literally it's so unhinged, and it gets to the point where he's like he's demanding it, and then he changes his objective in the scene. He's like he's like tell me where he is. And he's like Jamie, Jamie. He's pleading with her at that point. Yeah, he's, like he he's, he's broken by this point. Like just like. Try and help me here, please. And like he mentions to her that the coffin of a nine-year-old girl was stolen. Yeah, and like what do you We're think he's going freak- to do with that? Like that's eerie. Like, that's a hard, like. Well, like, that that harkens back to the stealing of the Judith Myers tombstone, right? And I just feel like that's a hard thing to throw at a child in trying to convince her to help or help him. Like, like if you were in a position, would you use that as information to like try and like? goat her into revealing where the hell he is if i've been through as much shit as loomis has maybe okay because this is like it's all built up to that's the thing really the big thing about this movie is that this is really there's a lot of culmination to this movie yes with the exception of one two things no three things actually a tattoo a person who's introduced in the next scene and then the end. All right, yeah, yes. It, it, it does also ask more questions, raise more questions than... Answers them. But also, at the same time, it has at this point become a series and you got to have something for the next one. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously Hollywood is built on that. The fact or like, just long-form media is built on that, whether it be comics or soap opera or whatever you... And so, in the following scene, we're introduced to the man in black. <laughs> yep. Uh, and another bit of continuity, a bus pulls up to the Vincent drugstore from Halloween 4. Right. 
same crane shot almost. Yeah, like it's like very similarly like framed and everything. Yeah, a bus pulls up, a couple people get off, and out comes you know Mr. Black, some guy dressed in all black, looking like he's almost out of the old west. He's got like the cow black cowboy boots with the with the metal tip. The sa- it sounds like he's got spurs on. He's yeah. Like, and the gunslinger is hot on his tail trying to stop him. Oh, they serve the beam. I know somebody's going to uh, pop for that reference. Black jeans, big trench coat, black hat, black gloves. But kicks a dog. Yeah, he walks past. And he just, like, moves his foot. and just, He doesn't really kick. He kind of just, like, nudges put, it nudges it with his foot. What a jerk. And everyone looks at him like, Whoa, like what, what the fuck is this? And this is an interesting setup because it's like... Uh, Okay, who 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 the who the fuck are you, Mister? Yeah, like like yeah, Hanfield is kind of like I could see Hanfield being like one of those places, like oh, weirdos would culminate would would just go out of the way and make it like a, a pilgrimage to go to Hanfield, and so maybe like Hanfield shouldn't be too um, weirded out by this guy, but it's just like this weird guy's demeanor and how he's dressed and like Halloween, like he shows up like that, like I would be raising a few eyebrows as well. Well. From what we've seen about Haddonfield, you could dress up in the exact same garb of a famous serial killer and just stand there in the corner and no one will notice you. Yeah, because they're because it's just like one of those things. It's just like how it's just like going through the motions for these people, and so it, it turns to oh, like oh, before that, Loomis um, is trying to find any traces of Michael as so he goes to his house, or yeah. does he? Oh fuck. Well, before that, we actually forgot one scene, which also goes into Loomis being unhinged, uh, of Loomis meeting up at the sh- police station, and we're reintroduced to Sheriff Meeker. Bo right. Star returns as Sheriff Ben Meeker. B- basically kind of just fed up with Loomis, everything about Loomis. He he seems to want to forget this shit, too, and get on with his life. Like, he lost his daughter. I mean, people were killed in his home, so I doubt he really wants to be there. Yeah, I, I especially love the line. One line's the kind of – two lines in the scene is kind of define this movie that – like, I don't want to have to call the National Guard every time this little girl twitches. Oh, yeah, it's like I'm supposed to call the National Guard every time the girl twitches. Like, like he, he's just not getting it. Now, I'm guessing it's very much like the rest of the town. He's not getting it because he just wants this all to go away. Him and Loomis have a very tense relationship where in the previous one he actually believed Loomis in the beginning after a little persuasion. Yeah, but, and, but like... All he like, needed was like two lines of Loomis's psychosis. Six bodies, that's what I've seen. And he went along with it. Yeah, now he just it, wants his fucking old guy to go away. Yeah, because what this person represents, like that, what Loomis reminds him is that his daughter's dead. Well, he even brings it up. He says, how many people did he kill last year? Oh, your own daughter. And he, where he almost like, he like grabs Loomis and like he's going to take a swing at him. Yeah. It's like, I don't forget. It's like, of course you don't forget. You think I forget? I want to show you something. So Loomis pulls back his sleeve, takes his glove off, and shows his like horribly burned forearm from the ending of Halloween 2. Right. And Meeker looks at it with just like disgust. And he's like, I prayed in my heart that he would burn in hell, but I knew hell would not have him. Yeah, that's the other line from this movie that I, I always think of when it comes to this movie. And then it's like it, conv- it convinces the sheriff to be, be on his side to take the situation seriously again. He kind of – the thing is we don't really see the sheriff again until much later on. So we don't really know what he thinks after this point until Michael actually does clearly strike again. And now it's like it, it's time to suit up and go. Right. So as you were saying, back to the scene we are up to, Loomis decides to go back to the Myers house. Or does he? This was filmed in Salt Lake City, not South Pasadena, so obviously you're not going to get the exact same locations. Uh, by this point, the Myers house, I believe, was still standing in South Pass where it was. I don't think they tore down all the houses yet. 
I know that well, they might have actually because I know what happened was that that whole street that the original Myers house was on in South Pasadena, um, the houses they were all old, they were all torn down. I don't know if bought the resident or if they RoboCop three them. Yeah. They, they hired uh, some guy that wasn't a British Steve Martin <laughs> to round them all up with his armed men. But all the houses on that block were demolished. They hired the men to um, move into internment camps. And the Myers house was saved at like the 11th hour by a local resident. For a dollar. For a dollar. Literally a dollar. He moved it to a location at the end of the road where it was opposite the um, hardware store, Nichols Hardware, and new condominiums were, were, were built. But for years, the lot stood vacant. Um, if you ever watch the Horrors Hallowed Grounds episode of the original Halloween, Sean Clark and a friend actually traveled there when they were, when they were much younger. And it, his footage was from, like, 1993. It was, like, handheld cam footage, and it was, the, the grass had grown back over that lot. That's how long it had been. Oh, wow. There was a big fence around it. So by this point, the original Myers house might not have been standing in its old place anymore. It probably had been moved. But anyway. So you had to location scout for something new. Halloween 6 proved to us that there was something much, much closer than what we got for Halloween 5. I don't know if Dominique Othen and Gerard looked at this house for Halloween 5 and said, that is a scary-looking house. If this film bombs and I never make another movie again, I need to do something with this house. That, that's my idea of what was going through his head. Yeah, because it's its not like a traditional two-story ranch. It's, it's a gothic mansion. It's a gigantic fucking ma- like mansion-type house. It's like three floors. Very, like, yeah, very gothic-looking. Today, they painted it completely different. It's got like three different colors on each... It's got like a different color on each floor. Ugh. If you also watch the horror, if you guys guys were fortunate enough to get the um, fifteen disc Halloween box set from twenty thirteen, there's a horrors, horrors Hollowed Grounds episode for each movie. One well for one through six, and it, the number five one, Don Shanks goes back there. Watch it online if you can, if you can find it. BitTorrent it, whatever you got to do. Where they go back to all the old locations, it looks very. It, it's still the same shape, but it looks very different now. It's much cleaner, obviously now because there's not weeds and dead branches and shit all over the place. Right. And actually enough, the route I take to get to the Cinema Art Center that we see our retro picture show movies at. Right. A few weeks ago, my mother was in the hospital. Everything's okay. She's home now 100%. I take that same route to get to the hospital. As I'm going down one of the roads, I get to the end. I'm looking at this one house that's there. As I'm stopped at the stop sign, I said, that's the fucking Halloween 5 house. There is a house on the route that is built very, very similar. Really? And I think we've never noticed it because we usually go there when it's dark. Yeah. It looks it's it's a white house, very similar in structure. Next time next time we ride together there, I will point it out to you. Okay. Because I'm really curious. Yeah, about this maybe now. we'll Google Earth it afterwards. Okay. We'll do Google Street View. But it, it it looks so strikingly like the Halloween Five House. Huh. Halloween Five House, we get this gigantic three story like mansion with an attic and everything. It's it's huge. There's stained glass windows on it. It, it, it is the, the it's got a gate in the front of it. It is the furthest cry from from yeah. the Halloween one as, house. As a person who's obsessed with the continuity as you are, I'm obsessed with the continuity. I this thing. I love continuity. Anytime you can do it, awesome. If you can't, I get it. Like uh, I don't know the reasons why Tuesday night replaced um, Patricia Arquette in, in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. I almost said Friday Part Four. Jesus, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. I don't know why, but. You know, I live with it. When it comes to something I have a fervorous love for, continuity errors drive me up the fucking walls. I mean, if they can't be, if they can't be prevented because someone died or whatever, I understand. You know, if 
even in this situation where the Myers house, they didn't film in that town and they no longer had access to the original house. I understand that. I forgive that. But make a damn effort, people. Yeah. Halloween six, they made the effort, and I feel that what they what they ended up with looked good. It looked like it looked like a renovated version of the My- the original Myers house. Even when they pan out to the crane shot, the surrounding neighborhoods and the placements of the street still look very much like that South Pass area. Right, and the feeling is just like it's one of the sticking points. Like, there's so many like people have sling arrows at this movie, and this is another another reason for them to have another arrow in their quiver for like if they want to take shots this movie is like the Myers house like Al I get why he did it because it makes the third act of like that location much more dramatic yes the third act takes place entirely pretty much in the Myers house and you need like these big open areas you need uh, there's a laundry shoot involved where Daniel Harris Jamie hides in in sort of a cat and mouse type scene but who's to say you couldn't put that in that same, like, Victorian-style house, you know? Was mm-hmm. it Victorian? Was it? it looked slightly like that. Yeah. Who's to say you couldn't? And one of the few things Halloween Resurrection does right is that they built a Myers house on the, the set. And it is, it's the closest thing we've ever had. Yeah. Closer than Halloween 6. And the whole movie, ta- nearly the whole movie takes place in it, where you have these cat-and-mouse games between Michael and his prey. Yeah. You could have you done it. I feel you could have done it. I totally feel you could have done it. I feel you could have pulled it off the same way. It might not have looked the same. Do you think the decision was arbitrarily made? I think uh, I think it was there. I don't know why it was there. I, I, I still stick with my thing that Dominique saw this house, fell in love with it, and said, if I never make another scary movie, I need to use this house. Right. And so... Don't forget, in the original Halloween, we never explored the left side of the house once. No. And so Donald Pleasant searches through the house. The man in black is watching as he does this. And we cut back to somebody else being stalked. We see Tina, Samantha, uh, her boyfriend, Spitz. Spitz. And I guess she swallows. Reminds me of the South Park episode with the super best friend. Meanwhile, semen and swallow. That's semen. <laughs> um. Uh, and hanging out with Mike, Tina's boyfriend, uh, as they steal some beer from Spitz's job and, and hide in his trunk. And that's when Michael Myers comes up and drags a pitchfork across – or a gardening tool across Mike's car. Yes, Mike or Mikey, uh, Tina's boyfriend. He, he he When they all leave, he drives down a one-way street yeah. to uh, back into the back of this little like convenience store. Michael's watching. After they load the beer up, Spitz goes back inside. He goes back to work. Uh, Mikey's just looking in the rearview mirror and sees someone walk up behind with this big, like, gardening pitchfork. It's not like your typical pitchfork. It's that, like, curved three-prong, three-blade pitchfork. And you just see the rearview mirror hit the back of this car and... It is hard to watch. It is hard to... I I don't give a shit about cars, and that's hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, On the the commentary track, Dominique Oath and Ginger Rod said that they put a a second hood on top of it and let... and and had it... Ruin that one. Yeah, that's yeah. smart. And Mike, he's pissed off. He grabs his tire iron, goes to kick ass. He's like, okay, you want to play asshole? Trick or treat. And right when he goes to say treat, he's grabbed by the throat. You see the fear in his eyes. He knows I just messed with the wrong guy. Yeah. The pitchfork goes up, and it comes down right on his fucking head. And I love, like, when you see his hand, you see the makeup stop, like, halfway up his wrist because the his sleeve rolls up, and you see, like, the differences in the color from the makeup. 
Uh, and, it's, it's quick enough. Yeah. And it was like one of the things that Halloween movies pointed out to me when I was on the site all the time. And we had to see another big Greg Nicotero's creation of uh, Mikey taking uh, the shots to the head with this pitchfork. Well, if you notice, when his body's twitching on the ground, it seems like there's these weird jump cuts, but within the same shot. This movie, Dominique Rothen and Gerard wanted to amp up the gore a little more. Like, he definitely wanted to keep the suspense in there, but he wanted it to be, because this is like the revenge, he wanted to be bloodier. This movie was originally given an X rating. Many areas of it had to be trimmed, with some things out entirely. And it's just weird how they chose to trim this, where I think that you could have maybe done an insert somewhere. It just looks very jarring, where it's like this person's body is twitching, but it cuts oddly yeah. while still fixed on the same shot. I guess, like, the fact that it's, like, you're supposed to be, like, kind of shocked the fact that he just took this to his head and, like, not supposed to notice the fact that you're still just reeling from the death, don't notice the continuity kind of being messed up there. It's it's so jarring, especially later with another cut they make during the third act. Like, right. it's, just, it's very jarring. It's very bizarre. And it's there, I think, just because the MPAA had a problem with his body just flailing and twitching the way it was for as long as it did. Like, okay, you got to lessen this a little bit. Yeah. Because the NBA hates violence. Well, no, violence the NBA is- makes no sense. Yeah, I make no. I, th- I think it is the same manatees that write for Family Guy <laughs> that determine what movies are rated. And so after that, um, we cut to nightfall has happened at this point, and Halloween night. Uh, the costume passion is going on at the... the children's hospital. Yes. Jamie's at. She's dressed up as a pretty little princess, and Billy's dressed up as a pirate. As a pirate. Billy gives her a. Little bouquet of flowers. He likes her a lot. Yeah. So cute. You give him a little kiss on the cheek. Oh. And Loomis is in the audience with all the parents. Uh, of course he would be. Just That's exactly who you want there. Like, no performance issues going on there. Like, ah, oh, it's just to have fun and everything. There's Old Man River in the and background. Loomis is clearly not having fun. <laughs> <laughs> he is the definition of not fun. Fun, fun, is, fun is gone from his life. Yeah. At least for now. Like, it would be fun, like, he just pretends to clap, like, half-heartedly. Just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Trying to give a shit. Yeah. But his clapping <laughs> might distract him from something that might be happening, something odd that might be happening in the corner, like someone coughing or something. Yeah. Eva. <laughs> I'm a messenger of God. Yeah, there you all go. Why not? Doom. We're all doom. He's become uh, Crazy Ralph from mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. Loomis takes off after Michael on his bicycle. <laughs> on his shitty little bicycle that's falling apart because he lost his license because he drank too much. <laughs> old, uh, old man booze. <laughs> and so, as well as Tina's picked up by T- Mike. Tina's back at the Carruthers' house. Rachel apparently planned a big sleepover. Yeah. In Tina's mind at this point, she believes that Rachel did go on vacation with her parents. So her, Sam, and all of them are staying at the Carruthers' house. She's getting ready. We see the black Camaro pull up very fast, driven the exact same, very fast. The brakes slammed on. The same way, uh, the same way her, her now deceased boyfriend drives. The top is up and the windows are up as well. The same way her now deceased boyfriend drives, beeping the horn for her. And Jamie starts seeing, uh-oh, Tina's in trouble. Yeah. Inside the Camaro, though, is someone wearing a mask, not the Michael Myers mask. It was a mask that Tina had used to play a prank on Mike beforehand. Yeah, and then she left in the car. Yep, she left that mask, so he puts that on. So she thinks it's him. She's coming out there in her weird... What, what, what the hell was she wearing? Like a fresh maid kind of dress or something like that. It was that. some like bizarre... like. It was like a mix between Red Riding Hood and French maid. Yeah, because she had a cape and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clay, cape, a hood... So she comes out trying to entice him, He's but we're seeing through the pers- first-person perspective, him looking at her doing this, we hear the, <sighs> the heavy breathing. Yeah. You know, we know, we know, we know it's someone named Mike and it ain't her fucking boyfriend. No. 
Jamie sees this. She's having visions. And as she's being introduced up on stage, it's taking place on this balcony that's above the stairs while the kids come there. The her back is see. to the audience and she's backing up. She's starting, yeah, her, she's like starting to have visions. She's backing up. It looks like she's about to fall off the balcony and she screams. All the parents, you know, scream in panic. And, and I love this match cut with her scream brings into the tires screeching away as they as Michael peels the fuck out of there. Yep. So we, this is also building the suspense too. Tina, we know Tina's in fucking trouble. She's in big trouble. Is she going to make it? Because out at one point, because she goes and kisses Michael right on the on the on the uh, face of the mask. And and Don Shanks, I give him credit. You look at his eyes in the mask. He's just, like he's burning holes. He's through grilling her. her. He's grilling her. And like and then you just see the close up of the gloves gripping the steering wheel. Like this is the most suspenseful part of the movie for me. This is the scariest part of the movie for me. Is this scene here? Like, and she she kisses him and she pulls away. It's like. She's like, when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. Uh, no, it, she, it, it, from Back to the Future, I know. It, it's more like when I kiss you, I feel like I'm kissing someone I need to be away from several continents away from. Yes, I need to be so far away from you, I come back the other side, and then I'm next to you. Yeah, but I'm still considered far away because of how far I've traveled. Yes, that makes no sense, but I don't care. I, I get you. And then like somebody, one of you people, laugh at it. Yes, <laughs> feel better. No. Okay. And so, and she, like, Michael's driving fast, and, like, Tina's like, what's wrong? Why are you mad at me? She's doing that. It, it, it's almost like the reverse of your typical relationship where the girl is not talking to yeah. you. And there's there's a ADR mess up here, horribly, where her words do not match up with what she's actually saying. Right. It's like they, they changed the lines in ADR, but they're not the same lines that were spoken while filming. Huh. And it stands out like a sore foot. You didn't notice that? No. I've noticed that every time I ever watched it. I noticed that every time I watched what, it. it what what like does a... the line say? What does she like? What does the ADR line say? Nothing, Mike. That's what I get. Nothing. And she has to say, like, that's not clearly what her lips are saying. And and the the cadence at which she says, is it because I want to see Jamie is different okay. than what the actual sound is. Because hey, while this is going on there. I've, I've noticed that for over 20 years. Oh, like shit. 25 years I've noticed that. Jesus. And so... No, for at least 20 years. 20 years. At least 21. Um, God, I'm old. I know. <laughs> uh, and so, Wallace is going on there, about to pass a gas station, and Tina says, stop, I want to get cigarettes. Michael passes on by. He, he revs. He go. He drives faster. He speeds faster. Stop, I want to get some goddamn cigarettes. Stop. <laughs> Slams on the brakes. You even see the, the well, car... Well, back it up, and then throws the fucker in reverse, and backs up. Doesn't do a U-turn. God, psycho boyfriend. Goes in the gas station... The gas station is a very defining feature on it. Apparently, they sell very large cookies, and they do it in the most non-sexist, misogynistic way possible. Yeah, the cookies are kind of uh, bra for the woman. Yes, you have a large, like, cartoon girl painted on there, and these large cookies covering her gigantic boobs. Yes. So, Jamie, who's now, you know, like, kind of collapsed, semi-conscious almost, just like... Ag- like, she, she's like in agony. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if this tele- telepathy she has. But it's having an effect on her. I, yeah, I don't know if this telepathy is like causing her, causing like pain to grow inside of her or whatever. I, I don't know. It's called basically she's she's struggling to get these words out, trying to describe where she's at, where uh, Tina's at. Loomis is there. A bunch of cops are there. Billy's there. Billy's like translating. He's the only one can figure it out. She's trying to say like big w- woman. And it was like a big woman, a woman that works there. He's like, no, no. cookie, C- cookie, Whoa. and everyone's like, what the fuck, cookie woman? That makes no sense. But one cop, you Rip. see him turn, think, and then they cut to the like, you see the cop. It cuts to the, the picture that's on the front of the gas station. Cuts back to him. You see him thinking. 
Picks up his walkie. Dale's gas station. Fifth and May. Like, he, he knew what she was talking about. Tina's coming out. You see Michael in the car. He pulls off the mask he had. Puts on the shape mask. According to what I've heard, the mask he was supposed to be wearing, the, the joke mask was supposed to be a Reagan mask, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan mask, but they decided against it because they, they didn't want the movie to be political. Should have done it. Well, I'm going to kill this girl <laughs> right now. <laughs> Which like one, like, it's a bad movie. There's a movie called The Tripper, directed by David Arquette. And I'm going to kill her like I did the stock market two years ago. And the killer is a person wearing a Ronald Reagan mask, killing and slaughtering people in the woods. At one point, like everybody's like in the middle of the woods, and it's like it's kind of like it's trying to be woodstock. Everybody's dropped ass at this point, and they're all sitting around this this fire. And it's like Ronald Reagan shows up, and it's like he throws his axe up, and it's like we have these flash cuts of all the bad things that happened from Reaganomics and everything. One person turns to see Ronald Reagan, like. Ronnie? It kicks into Reagan's youth, Reagan youth, as as Ronnie is slaughtering these people. Wasn't it? Wasn't there in the video for why known as Brown Beaver by Primus someone wearing a Reagan mask and a cowboy outfit? I think so, because like Ronnie was known for being a cowboy in movies. Like that's like his biggest like break was being. And there a cow- was the Genesis Land of Confusion video. Yes, and po- Point Break, right? With all the president, Michael yes. Myers was in Point Break. Michael Myers <laughs> was in Point Break. He was he was the knife specialist. <laughs> We've been screwing you for years. A few more minutes will be, be well worth it. There you go. And so... Tina comes out, but then a slew of cop cars pull, like, race right up, pull up, say, Tina, I don't know, Tina Yothers, whatever the fuck it is. Get on the ground! You know, whatever. If your name is Tina Yothers, please stay, stay where you are. Yeah, exactly. Don't be in family ties or whatever. Yeah. I think she already was at that point. But, but you know, she she's like, oh, my God, what happened? Is everything all right with Jamie? And they say, you got to come up with this. Go, wait, wait a minute. She, like, turns around because she wants to go tell her, her boyfriend, I'm doing air quotes, boyfriend, yeah. that she's going with them. And the Camaro's pulled away. It's left. Yeah. She's like, I don't believe this. So Michael was Michael was outsmarted once yeah. more. Yeah. He got the one up on him. And he's like, whoopsies. And he just yep. left. He left. He knew where he's not wanted. Yeah. So Tina goes back to the, the children's hospital. Janie, Jamie sees her and said, Tina, like, She's able to speak. She's able to speak again. J- Jamie got her voice back. That mm. set, that sets up something interesting, and I will talk about this at the end when we when we go back in when we kind of review like the the parts of the script that were a little hard to iron out. I would have rather had in that opening something different that goes along the lines with this. It seems that like Jamie is able to overcome the force of Michael Myers, whatever it is, you know, if you want to call it the, if you want to call it one episode early, the curse of thorn, right. That was passed on to her in Halloween four, because this, this really all is speculation. We were never getting anything concrete. The whole thorn trilogy, four, five, and six were written by three different people. Yeah. You got to continue what the previous guy started. You may not revisit things, but some things do add up and line up. It's hard to finish somebody's murder mystery. after somebody started it. Exactly. It's basically a murder. Basically. Motherfucker. It's a murder mystery that one person started, and then this guy has to finish by creating another murder mystery that the next guy has to finish. Yeah. So I feel like Jamie, I don't know if it's because she's a little older than Michael was when he was inflicted with the curse, or even how he was inflicted with the curse or whatever. I think she's able to overcome it through, as sappy as it sounds, love. She has she has an older child's love for people. She's a very loving, good child, mm. loves her family, loves her friends, whatever, and she's able to overcome this curse. She was able to overcome being fully taken by it at the end of four, 
as we see in the beginning of five. And I feel like the we should have a different opening where she actually does, where a year later she's still affected by it. She's still like, the, you know, she's like Michael was, mute, sitting in the corner, not speaking. And then as he starts coming back to life, crushed in the mind shaft or whatever, leave the fucking hermit Dr. Death thing out. That's, I felt that's too hokey. He's crushed the mind. As he comes back to life, she awakens and tries to escape to join him almost. And Rachel, you know what? Let me get this whole thing out right now. This is how I feel the opening should have gone. After the recap of four, we go to Halloween a year later. Halloween Eve a year later. Jamie's in the children's hospital, but she's very much like Michael Myers. She's this kid, you know, after stabbing her stepmother, she's overtaken. She's like how he was for 15 years in the mental hospital. Not saying a word, just sitting in a room, blank, pale, emotionless face. Blackest eyes, devil's eyes. Check, check, check. A year later... Michael starts to awaken from his dormancy after being beaten in the mineshaft, and that kind of awakens her in a similar way to whatever f- awakened Michael in the original Halloween 15 years later. Like, this is, this is her catalyst, whereas whatever the, – the similar age between Laurie and Judith was Michael's catalyst to awaken okay. fully. She awakens, you know, tries to sneak out, stalks th- people – had, like injures people, maybe not fully kills them because she's not fully there yet, but, like leaves them for dead, where she comes across Rachel, who is there coming to see her before going away with her parents or, or visiting her the night before, you know, because we do see Rachel wake up next to Jamie's bed, you know, going to see Rachel or Jamie just snuck out, maybe not even attacked anyone, just snuck out where you think she's going to attack someone, where it seems like it's set up because we do have a very slow burn atmosphere in this movie. This little girl is now the killer. She's going to kill these people. She gets to Rachel. Rachel finds her, and that's like the only roadblock standing between her escape. Attacks Rachel. Doesn't really injure her too worse for wear. And Rachel basically... I didn't say it. I didn't say basically. Is anyone keeping... Keep score so you could badger me with this later, you folks at home. Finds Rachel. Rachel's there, pleads for her life, and tells Jamie, I love you. And Jamie, in that scene, looking at her, has the blank, pale, emotionless face. But as in something we will talk about later in the movie, you see the one tear drip down her eye. Rachel gets to her. And Rachel's love snaps her the fuck out of it. But Jamie, now that she snapped out of it, she still can't talk and she has the telepathic link. Continue the movie as it was. That'd be curious. That'd be an interesting way to It's a way it. of wrapping up the ending of Halloween 4 with her attacking her stepmother without completely... Redconning a, a, it. Without abandoning, abandoning it. it. Without throwing it away. And it ties into later in the movie, which we will talk about as we go on. So, Jamie can speak again. She's overcome now through the love of Tina, overcome the inability to speak. So you could say, all you need is love. All you, all you need, need is love. love. Dun, 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 dun. And all, all you, you need, need is love. All you need is love. Love is all. Love is all you need. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> oh, that'd be an interesting way for the movie to go. And Beatles Loomis, to do the soundtrack. Yes. Ray, Jamie is pleading with Tina not to go to this party. As well as Loomis is. Jamie, you know, she's doing the thing, the whole thing, please don't go. He was there, the boogeyman. Well, that's one way of calling him. That's one thing you can call him. She still thinks, like, she, she still thinks everything's okay. She's not yeah. really believing Jamie, she thinks she's disturbed. 
She, th- she thinks it's all in Jamie's head, and it's filled there by Loomis. Yeah, and Loomis tries to convince her to stay as well, and and Tina's not having any of it. Tina's, like, starting to cry. She's like, you know, it's really messed up, all that boogeyman stuff you put in this little girl's head. Like, yeah, like, th- she is under the impression that Loomis is doing more harm than good and probably perpetuating her trauma. Tina hasn't lived through it like Rachel did. No. And now that Rachel's not around, when it comes back... Tina, uh, Tina, I guess, doesn't understand it whatsoever, doesn't think it's there. Okay, with that in mind, we had Lindsay last movie as a friend for Rachel, and people have speculated the fact that you could retcon to make it to believe that it was Lindsay, Lindsay from, Hall- from the Halloween 1. Why couldn't we have had that? Why couldn't it have just been Lindsay and this instead of Tina? Probably because... If the real Lindsay Wallace is smart enough and she sees Michael Myers came back, she's saying, I'm staying the fuck away from you. Burn my number. Like, I would say block my number, but this was before cell phones. She probably, if anything, she might have been one of the people that avoided Rachel like the plague and avoided the Carruthers family like the plague. After the events of four, you mean? Yeah, because she lived through it, if if that's what we're talking about. I mean, we're creating our own fan fiction now, practically. I I mean, hell, you rewrote the opening of this one, so might as well. Why not? Anything goes. Anything goes. Anything goes. And so, at least the the bumbling cops uh, are told to follow her. And they want nothing to do with Loomis. If that girl dies, then okay, Doc, any, anything for you. They're condescending to him. Just everyone Loomis comes in contact with wants him to go the fuck, fuck away. away. And so... But he's the only one that's right. Yep. And so... Tina realizes, like, oh, the fact that, all right, you guys are supposed to follow me. I'm not supposed to notice you. Like, well, yeah, like, one is just give me a ride to the party anyway. You can just keep an eye on me there. And they're like, fine, we'll be responsible. We'll do that. So they give her a ride to the the, the, the party. Tower Farm. There's a big party going out at the Tower Farm, wherever that is, on the outskirts of town, because it it's supposed to be rural Illinois, even yeah. though it's Illinois, Illinois, even though it's Salt Lake City, really. And. They're, they're, they're supervising, basically. Yeah, and they're unaware of the fact that Michael's followed them there. Yep. So she's partying, you know, all horny teenagers. Sam's there. Spitz is there. Spitz and Swallows are there having fun. The cops are supervising. The mother, I guess the woman who owns the farm is there watching. I, I guess so. It's just some old lady looking at everyone there. It's like, oh, what the hell? Maybe she's trying to be a teenager. Uh, uh, it's so strange. And the cops are playing a card game. and They're oh, fiddling around. Yeah, and this when. In comes speeding in uh, a black Camaro. Yeah. And they say, oh, does that look like a dangerous situation to you? Eh, no, whatever. Want to play Crazy 8s? Yeah. They decide to play Crazy 8s in the car. And this is when the beginning of the series of pranks... Begin. And this is when my eye rolls really begin of the movie. It, it is a bit... There is an overkill to this aspect. Yeah, because Spitz dresses up as Michael and chases out Tina... Well, well outco- yes, out comes Tina and Sam running out of that, running out of the house, screaming, and following them is Michael Myers, knife in hand, holding it over uh, Sam. The cops get out; they're pointing their guns at him. They say, "Take no, take monster, take my friend. She's a virgin." And you hear Michael say, "Got her phone number." <laughs> it takes off the mask and it's, it spits under there, playing a joke on the cops. Like that's they're very frazzled. Yeah, like, that's definitely not funny. Fortunately, we're lousy cops. Um, yeah. Horn and all. You might as well have that. I think there is a noise when he 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 nudges his buddy. Really? And, and it's very it's very low in the mix, but I can hear it. And the fact that <laughs> like they have he's revealed himself not to be Michael, but they still have that guns pointed at him. Grand, they, yeah. he does have a dangerous weapon in his hand, but it's like put the guns down, man. 
And but then again, like I, I want to say, like oh, like kids being that stupid. I just saw an article uh, today that some kids went to a school with super soakers and firecrackers to fake a shooting. Oh, that's intelligent. Yeah. So you know what, like. It was just I, one two days ago at the in, in Texas. Texas. So I'm just like at the time of this recording, and so I'm just like, you know what? Like, I'm not shocked that kids are doing this. Mm-hmm. And so they go running off into the barns because they find, you, they find kittens. Kittens, kittens in the barn. living in the barn. Well, they go into this barn, walking around. And they kind of get separated from each other. Which the barn is big. It's not that big. Yep, that's the one thing. They kind of like fudged the geography of it a little bit, and so they find kittens. They get separated. False jump scares uh, abound, mm-hmm. and uh, Sam and Spitz uh, get it on. So, uh, well, with another Michael Myers uh, stalking false, them, yeah. Stalk, with another Mi- Michael is actually there, but we get another thing of of someone dressed up as Michael Myers stalking Samantha. She's like Spitz thinks it's her boyfriend. Spitz, what are you doing? And as he raises the knife, she oh my god, oh my god, and he starts plunging it down. But he was joking; it was Spitz again. It's like all right, enough, guys. What if he missed? Yeah, exactly. You, he wouldn't be getting laid. No! Chill with the freaking Michael Myers disguise. You used it once. You don't got to do it again. Yeah. All right. And what confounds it is the fact that they have a music cue with it. Yeah. Making it like, oh, like a music cue like for a jump scare should work and should only be used for legit jump scares. Well, with that, I feel like they are, with the actual material that they use there by having a character play a prank dressed up as Michael Myers, you, you just used this minutes ago. Yeah. One and done, you know? Yeah. You know, Co- think of something else or whatever. Like, right. he, like he, like later on, they drop a bale of hay on uh, Tina to scare her. Do you feel like this is just padding out the movie at this point? Because I, I feel like this sequence goes on a little long. I feel like it's not. I feel like it is a legit suspense builder, but I feel like they ran out of ideas on how to build the suspense here. Right. Say, um... You know, let's let's try the thing we just did again. Yeah. So Sam and Spitz, they have sex. They practice safe sex, which is good, all of you out there. Yes. And brought a condom. Yes. And Spitz seemed to have trouble getting it on. Apparently he was he was pulling on it and it snapped back and hit him in the wee wee. Ow. Uh, and amidst their coitus, uh, Michael does show up, pitchfork in hand. Picks up a large pitchfork in this barn and impales Spitz with it. Ow. But one good thing about this is Sam... Decides to say, like, I'm not going to go down screaming. She grabs the pitchfork out of her boyfriend and tries to kill Michael with it. Yep, and he picks up a big, big scythe, and yeah. with one quick swipe, you just see blood splash on him, which that, is not there later on somehow. He no. Take time to wash his mask off. But that is, like, one of the most, like, I think, if you're going to say, like, famous images from this movie, it's probably that. Is a swimming, swinging the scythe at the camera and then being doused with a, a splash of blood. By this point, Jamie has... Escaped. She needs to go. At, she knows she needs to go after Tina, who finds her while she's go while she's looking for her is actually Billy. Billy was eavesdropping in the window when Tina asked the cops to take her to the Tower Farm, so he knows where they are. So they go off on their own back at the police station, uh, not the police station, back at um, the hospital. You know, the nurse comes down to Loomis says, "Jamie's gone. I can't find her." A little girl runs by that looks kind of like her. Loomis just grabs his kid, pulls her mask off. <laughs> And the girl just starts, hey! Uh, I was just crying because, like, Lewis looked like a madman. Because he, like, at this point, he is. It's like, he he doesn't have tangible proof, but he knows Michael's back. Yeah. Like, the, you know, the girl's grave is missing. Jamie's having all these visions. Nobody can find, Ra- everyone thinks Rachel went away. Loomis, <coughs> excuse me, Loomis knows he's back, and he's just nuts. 
Meeker comes in at that exact moment. He's like, Loomis, what the hell are you doing? It's like, Jamie's gone. We've got to find her. And that's when it's we cut back to Tina at the barn, and she doesn't realize something's not right oh. here and discovers her friends are dead. All the kids keep partying back in the party, but then they all decide to leave because we, you made the joke. Uh, they found Principal Hembry hanging from the goalpost dead. So they yeah, all because, they, off because the they all just abandon. I, I forget. There is an explanation. I, just not he- I did not hear it because we were watching. I think it was, hey, all, let's go skinny dipping or something. Right. In October. October. I don't know. Just in the a, Midwest. Apparently the party was going to continue somewhere else, so everybody gets in their car, drives away. Tina goes to get Sam and Spitz, goes into the barn, looking around, can't find anyone. We know Michael's there already. This is more the suspense building. I, I'm fine with this. I really am. It's just the, the whole someone disguised as Michael thing. It was used once. They tried to use it again. It didn't really work. Tina finds one of the little kittens that's been sitting around there. He's covered in blood now, and she's like, oh, my God, puts the kitten down. All of a sudden, a bale of hay falls on her, and two bodies fall from the bale of hay. Yeah. It's them. And I'm like, hey, that's rude. Yep. Michael uh, appears. She runs out, runs over to the cop car. The two cops are dead. Yeah. And after Michael had actually killed them, we forgot to mention. Yeah. Since we're such, we're such great podcasters, Michael walks past them, the cop car, with the scythe. No, he had the pitchfork. He had the pitchfork. Okay. And the they, cop, they think it's still Spitz um, the, goofing around. The cop still thinks it's Spitz goofing around and basically confront him about it. Hey, hey you, you want to think it's so tough? Come on over here and uh, uh, we'll give you a, a stern talking to. Mm-hmm. And Michael was like, all right, fine. You want to talk to me? Fine. Fuck you. It kills them both. And we don't find that out until Tina goes to get their attention and they're both dead in their cop car. Yeah. At which point Jamie and Billy have arrived there at the tower farm. Tina sees them. Once everybody's gotten their attention, all of a sudden the Camaro lights flash on. Let the chase begin. Michael and the Camaro chasing down Tina, chasing down Jamie, chasing down Billy all through this, like, farmland. Yeah. He originally starts chasing Tina, and in a behind-the-scenes little video from the Inside Halloween 5 documentary, we see that during one of the scenes of the chase, Wendy Kaplan is really running from this car. She actually trips over herself. Because she turned to look back at the camera, and she got her cape. She got caught in it, and she fell backwards. And Don oh, she Shakes, fell forward. No, she fell backwards. She fell backwards? Yeah, Don Shakes. Like, told or whoever was driving the car. Slammed on the brakes. Slammed on the brakes, thankfully. Yeah, luckily, the car was in tip-top shape when they did it, so, and then she, she immediately jumps up and runs away oh from the God. car. Oh, my God. You hear all the camera people just like, oh! Like, and everybody rushes to set. Wendy Kaplan almost got ran over for real in that stunt. So it is. The curse of Tina. Oh, and then uh, Jamie gets Michael's attention. She wants to protect her friends. Yeah. She wants to protect the people she loves. And then Michael's like, all right, fine. He, he peels it into her direction and chases after her. He's after her. He, he, he clips – when he's chasing after Billy, he, like, clips him. Mm. But Billy gets away. You know, he gets to the side. Like, he's injured. Tina, Tina checks on him. Yeah. But then runs back and sees – and this nine-year-old girl is being chased by this speedy Camaro. Now, fortunately, he's rushing through, like, these – it looks like it looks like freshly planted trees. Yeah. It looks like when you go to like these farms and you see the Christmas trees getting ready. Right. But the Christmas trees are not quite ready no. yet. Like they're nowhere near ready and don't look like they will be ready for another two months. Yeah. So it's kind of weird how it is, but it looks like these evergreens. That's what happens when you shoot in the spring. Yeah. And they're clearly slowing down the pace of this car. So she's because able otherwise to keep a you, you will be questioning why doesn't he just ran her over at this point? Yes. Yeah, she's able to keep a steady gap and you see, you do see that there are things obstructing the car. Like he can't just, you know, plow through it mm. like he wants to. Um, she manages to get through, get away from that area, and starts going into a wooded area. 
gets in the wooded areas, you know, bobbing and weaving in and out of trees. And fortunately, she she turns left the correct way. He doesn't turn left to follow. And Michael Myers, boom, head on with head on collision with a tree with a small explosion. With a small explosion, like the engine was catching fire and everything. The car was catching fire. Behind the scenes, though, Dominique Othman and Gerard, since he was so enveloped in the stunt and also being a new director, not a very experienced one, he forgot to yell cut. Oh. The stunt coordinator was telling him, yell cut. Like Donald, Don Shanks is sitting inside of a car that's currently getting more and more on fire. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of one thing you don't forget about. And, and, and like, what sells the suspense of the scene is because Michael has, has dropped his head on the car horn and just like the, the beep. Solidly throughout. Everyone thinks it's okay. There's Jamie laying there just like. She exhales, and then the beeping stops in the exact same shot. And you see her, like, Daniel Harris was such a great actress in this. And so then you look around, like, concerned, like, oh, shit. And then the creak of the driver's side door opens up. Yep. And Michael's, so Mike gets up and starts to chase after her. Slow, that slow walking. She, she's immobilized. She, she's exhausted. She's laying on the ground, trying to crawl away with every last bit of energy she has. He's getting closer and closer and closer. He raises a knife, and out of left, out of the left side of the field comes Tina with the with, with, with that tackle. RKO. Comes Tina with that football tackle. Yeah, and Michael now has a concussion, and he, but they're still sending him into the field. Yes, and so Tina tries to, to stop Michael and tries to stop him from plunging a knife down, so Jamie and, can get away. But she gets stabbed in the process, and apparently, um, in the behind the scenes, like where the documentaries on the new Blu-ray set. That at the premiere of the movie, everybody cheered when Tina died. When Tina died, so I do feel bad. Yeah, I feel is... bad for Wendy Catlin because she. I, I bet you she probably does the convention circuit and probably gets shit from people every weekend for this. You no, know, I don't. I don't know because like like nostal- there is this such thing as the nostalgia glasses. Like we're sitting here looking the at rose tinted glasses, the rose tinted nostalgia. We're sitting here looking at this. There's, there is a nostalgic point of view to this. Of course. Uh, even what we're doing. And I, I'm sure people don't treat her poorly in person like that. I would I mean, hope not anyway. I'm sure there's some fucking assholes like that. So your, your character's some fucking neckbeard in his basement. Your character sucked. Then what are we? In my basement. And you... And I... I can only grow a neckbeard. I can't grow a regular beard. All right, but we're sitting here actually saying positive things. So. That's true. And so... <laughs> She's killed. I, I mean... I find Tina's character tolerable. I can deal with Tina. Yes. I roll my eyes most of the time when she's on screen, but I can handle it. I can deal with it. And if anything, I do kind of mourn her death based on what it means to, to Jamie, because Jamie loves Tina. Right. Like and a I'm, sister. And apparently, like, during the shooting, a lot of the stuff while in the bar, and apparently Wendy Kaplan was stoned in the making of it. Like, that's like a rumor that's been, like, circulated since the movies came out. Well, if you watch the Halloween, the Inside Halloween 5 documentary, it's a great behind-the-scenes documentary, all, like, just... Like home handheld camera footage, you know, yeah. spliced together. Everyone was having fun. It was it was like a bunch of kids let loose. Everyone was having such a fun time, such a great time. Yeah, apparently, great like- experience, hard work, and like it, it, that documentary is is just one of many reasons why I fucking hate sequel reboots. Because it's like, as I've said before, now that you you've allowed me to join in on the the filmmaking experience to see how much work goes into this, how much fun we have, and how. How how would a positive experience it could be even if the movie turns out like shit and no one cares about it to sit there and have the fucking sack to say, OK, I'm making something and all that. Everything that you guys did that you poured it's your blood, void. sweat and tears into doesn't matter anymore. It's null and void. No one cares. I mean, I it's, guess you would, it's non-canon. It doesn't count, I, which it would bother me. But then I would stop caring once I got my residual checks at the end of the year. 
I guess. I mean, I know it's a cynical thing to say, but it is something like then like you 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 compare yourself to the other movies and you say like, oh, that's canon. Mine isn't. You can, you, can, you, can, you, 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 you you wouldn't feel insulted and you compare yourself to them like, oh, that movie's beloved, mine isn't. Like, imagine yourself like you're in... Well, the original... Here's the thing with sequel reboots. Look at how many sequel reboots only count like the first two. Yeah. Or the first one. It's like a sequel reboot these days feels like it's just aping... It's just trying to ape off success of an original. Right. Like, the original one will always count even though these... Even though these sequel reboots will never be... Like, look at the Texas Chainsaw series. Yeah. Look at how... Look at how the new... The Godzilla Le- series. The new Leatherface movie. And it, it did almost... Uh, did it do more poorly than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4? I think so. Yeah. Uh- I don't know. I can't say it with that fact. But somehow that one's... St- they both did fucking abysmal. Yeah. But somehow that one counts and... Ugh. And so, why does Michael stop attacking Jamie at this point? Is this when the cops show up? This is when the cops show up. Jamie oh. manages to get up and get away. And at that point, Loomis has arrived with the police. Okay. Police force full in tow. You know, Michael's outmatched, outgunned. He's not going to fight him head on. Mm-hmm. He's smarter than that. They get uh, Jamie in an ambulance. Looking at her. They get Billy in an ambulance. We see him in the background. We find Tina's body dead. They find Tina's body is Jamie mourning, and Loomis basically goes up to her and says, uh, I did it again. Loomis goes up to her and says, now are you ready to help? And she agrees. Meeker wants to be, says, I'm still in charge of this. Wait a minute. There isn't a moment to wait. Loomis has a plan. He's not going to follow anyone's orders, and I think at this point, Meeker's ready to listen because he understands, like, okay, he's in the – like, you, you proved this right. Michael's back. This little girl was almost... These two children were almost killed. This teenage girl was killed. Probably more people have been killed. Yeah. Meeker, like, kind of comes to a sense, okay, let's listen. James said, what do you want me to do? Loomis doesn't say anything just yet. Everyone leaves. Everyone leaves except Loomis. He's sitting there with his car. Loomis, he speaks to Michael, who's still standing out in the woods. We can actually see him in the background. He blends in very nicely. It's yeah. One of those, it's one of those cool... Th- it's one of those cool blending in scenes where... Once you notice it, it kind of gives you chills. Yes. It reminds me of, like, the skull eyes in the pumpkin from Halloween 2 that mm-hmm. I pointed out. Either that or I'm hallucinating those. But right. Where Michael basically says, it will... I did it. <clears throat> Motherfuck it all. I'll get you at the source if you really want me to. What? I'll get you at the source if you really want me to. you get me the source? The source. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. My pronunciation skills are lacking. And so Loomis says, like... You, like, this rage is not going to go away. Go back to where it began. Go home. Go home, Michael. Go to your house. That's what I tell people when they won't leave at work. Yes. Go home. Go to your house. <laughs> and that ties into also what I was saying with how Jamie was able to overcome this curse. The rage will destroy you, but her love overcame the rage. There, There is something to this that... that like I said, Dominique, Othman, and Gerard, very ambitious with this. Really get trying to get into the psyche... Of what's going on here. Really trying to dissect again. And it's not just an arbitrary story of, oh, a man who has, he's become pure evil and he's yeah. going to kill. It's like, okay, well, what is this pure evil? Why is it? Now, people make the argument, oh, when you reveal things, it stops being scary. Yeah, but when you try to do the same thing over and over again, you know what you expect every time, that becomes scary also. Mm. I would almost rather just try to take it in a different direction that creates an interesting story to it rather than just do the same thing over and over again, trying desperately trying to recapture what I did before mm-hmm. and just 
just repeating yourself. Right. Because at least you can appreciate the, even if it doesn't scare you anymore, even if it doesn't work on that level, you could still get into the story now. Right. You're, you're tra- you are trading. There is a trade-off. Horror scares for story. Yes. And I feel that the more sequels you make, especially in the horror genre, it's an avenue that should at least be tried. Yeah, at least at least try it. Don't just like paint by numbers. It like otherwise you get the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Yeah, where the first eight, I'd say the first seven films are exactly the same. Yeah, you, you, well, the eighth is except it's on a boat. Yeah, it's on a motherfucking boat. boat with no T pain. That would have been the only thing that made that movie watchable. Yeah, even though like we're in New York, man. Like they're trying to sell it that. Um, and so we cut back to the Myers house, um, and Jamie's agreed to be bait. With a police officer with her. She's sitting there up in the window brushing her hair, much like a young Judith Myers was on a certain Halloween night. Right, as well as the SWAT team is inside the house with them, and yes. they're surrounded in the bushes. Now, this uh, this is another thing I love, where we're taking Halloween in a new direction. Now that everyone's gotten serious, we're getting the fucking SWAT team involved. Last time in Halloween 4, you know, we want, we got the National Guard involved, but they arrived too late. Yeah. They arrived at the last minute. Now we've got a full-on SWAT team taking on this... You know, unstoppable serial killer. This is new. Dire- this, it's bringing it to a new level. I really feel. Yes. To where now that the stakes have raised so much, we're getting this serious about stopping this guy. It's not just the local hick police. Yeah, which is kind of kind of slightly squandering the fact that Jamie has a vision of Michael attacking the hospital, and it's relayed to Meeker, who sends everybody, with the exception of two officers, well, to the hospital. Here's the thing, though. This is how Michael overcomes this new obstacle, where right. you have a serious SWAT team sporting, you know, the camo, the the headsets, bulletproof vests, assault rifles, yeah. all the, the full nine freaking yards, man. It's becoming like the movie Heat, almost. Yes. With, with the amount of shit they got. This is how he overcomes it. He knows he has this link to Jamie, so let me go somewhere where I could get her attention, and lure these people away. Michael goes to the hospital. She's seeing visions of him going after Billy. His attack at the hospital actually was shot, but never used. Because, and this was one of the things, I believe it was an, one of the things that the MPAA was cutting out, was because of how he murders a uh, officer there. Mm-hmm. If you watch the Horrors Hollow Grounds episode of Halloween 5, Donald Shanks actually actually reenacts this for Sean Clark on camera, like how he walked up to the guy, like twisted his head around or whatever. Right. On the Halloween 25 Years of Terror documentary, they talk about this, but they use the actual footage from a few minutes later of when Michael arrives at the Myers house and kills a cop. Mm. That also was under the uh, MPAA's cutting room floor. Yeah, because he's like literally like thrashed to death. He's thrashing him through the windshield, there's pieces of glass stick on that guy's face, and it has those bizarre... I mean, we'll get to it in a few minutes, but... This scene of Michael attacking was filmed. I almost feel like it's more effective by not showing it. Yeah, we just see the result of it. This is this shows the the real intelligence of, and strategicness of Michael Myers that you're getting into. Like, yeah, he's pure evil, but pure evil isn't stupid. No, pure evil knows he ain't gonna walk into that. No, because even if he can survive it, he ain't gonna last long against it. No, and he'll be captured again. Yeah, he creates he he creates a diversion and Meeker, you know, thinking, okay, he's over there. Let's go do this. Loomis, you're, I, I think a lot of it, too, is thinking that Loomis's plan was a little half-baked. Mm-hmm. I think he didn't feel comfortable, the idea of using a little girl as bait. We see all these SWAT team members walking around the house, you know, talking over the walkies. And even Loomis says, like, we may not be able to see you, but we could certainly hear you. Yeah. Meeker seems to feel condescended by Loomis at almost every point. Yeah. Even though Loomis is the one who knows what he's talking about. So everybody leaves. Why they didn't get Jamie out first, I don't know. 
That was kind of like the afterthought. Mm. And we don't know how far, how uh, long ago Jamie's vision was. We don't know, like, we, we don't know how Jamie's telepathy really works. She could see what Michael sees, and I guess vice versa. Mm. But we have no, like, f- time frame of everything. So I guess he struck once, killed a couple people there, because when the SWAT team does arrive, as we show later, they are bringing out a dead body. Yeah. And then he immediately hopped in his car after everyone left and speeds back there. Even Loomis says it. After everyone pulls away, Meeker says, well, okay, Loomis, yeah, we're all done. Let's get the kid out of here. And Loomis like, yeah. <laughs> he takes his walkie-talkie to the leaf, throws it in the bushes, and says, now you'll come, won't you, Michael? Loomis knows now is the real the real deal. He knows that firepower ain't going to stop him. He's trying. He's Even he's kind of trying something new. Everybody's yeah. trying something new in this movie. Right. And so <laughs> Michael shows up in the cop car, presumably the cop car that – from the two cops that were died at the tower at the farm, tower farm. Yeah. Or, or one stolen, though. or one stolen from the hospital itself. We're not too sure. He arrives, uh, kills the cop outside in a very violent fashion, and bashes his head, yeah, against the windshield. Whatever, this piece of glass sticking out of it, and it has the exact same like quick cutting, but the same yeah. shot as as earlier when he sticks the little the weird pitchfork thing through Mike's head, and we. The one officer that's guarding Jamie is hearing this over the radio and he wants to get Jamie the hell Roger out of the Pedactor house. Is guarding, Roger yes. Pedactor from Ace Ventura is guarding Jamie. Loomis will not let him leave. To Loomis, the point that he pulls a gun on him. Loomis locks the door. This guy's about to force his way out. Loomis pulls a fucking gun on this cop. Loomis, uh, he's, he's still losing it. Loomis has a plan and he ain't going to – honest to God, I think that – I would have been interested to see if Loomis actually shot the guy, like shot him in the arm or something. Right. Say, so you're not – I have a – I'm going to stop him. You are not going to stop me. Right. And to the point that he agrees like to do this, at least until Loomis is out of earshot, Loomis goes downstairs. Michael appears in the shadows. They have – well, he – then Loomis talks to Michael and almost, almost convinces him. He notices Michael behind him standing up, holding the knife up. Like we, we talked about earlier, like why is he always holding the knife up? Yeah. Here it has a little more symbolism. He goes to Michael, tries to reason with, reason with him, saying, she's right here in the old house, you know? She can make the pain go away. Even he, like, looks at, like, the stair... Michael, he looks up at the staircase, looks back at Loomis. She can make the pain go away, and he sort of, like, bows his head a little. Like, like, submitting, like, 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 like he feels bad almost. Yeah. He starts lowering his knife, like, oh, shit. Like, there, there's so much to... And this is why I like... Don, this scene is why I like Don Shanks as Michael Myers. Right. Very much. Not only because he's a fucking beast of a stuntman, too, and can, mm. And is very vicious as a killer. We've seen a much more vicious Michael Myers in now the revenge of Michael Myers. He's angrier, more pissed off. He's going to kill people worse. But in this now, we're seeing the, almost the sympathetic emotional side. And people people do complain that it, it dilutes the boogeyman. But the only thing I feel the only thing that dilutes the boogeyman worse than that is repetition. Mindless repetition. Mm-hmm. You do the same fucking thing over again. They're exploring new territory. They're showing that this boogeyman is still in the vessel of a human, and this human now, Dr. Loomis, is actually getting to in a way we've never seen before. Right. Lowers his knife. Loomis is telling him, you, you don't need that, as in the knife. He makes that one critical mistake. He goes to take the knife from Michael. Mm. Michael recoils and slashes Loomis across the, the chest and stomach. Pushes him back, or the back of his head goes through like one of the stained glass windows in the, in the and fucking Dracula's castle. And then the on the, the yep. platform they're on. And then throws him off this little staircase platform. Loomis, Loomis has just been fucked up royally yeah. this time. And Charlie is breaks Charlie the, wind- the cop. Yeah, Charlie the cop breaks the window that they're in, that they, her and Jamie are in, and tries to like secure rope for them to like rappel down. 
while this is going on, Michael comes through the door, admits while they're trying to set up this little kind of jerry rigging rope. Charlie pulls his sidearm and he pulls his ten shooter out. We yeah, ten bu- He has a ten bullet revolver. Yeah, <laughs> two shots actually land into Michael. The rest missed. Great shot. Michael collapses, thinking he's safe. Um, Charlie tries to uh, again to get ready to go out the window. Um, Michael bursts through, killing. Stabbing Charlie in the neck, then quickly takes the the weird like rope laundry line he had, wrapping it around his neck, and throws him out the window. To hang him. Jamie runs away, gets away. L- Jamie's just looking anywhere for safety. She, Hides in the laundry chute. She cannot find safety. Now, the one thing I notice about the Myers house in this, there are little things peppered all over. I noticed this in the Men in Black scene earlier in the beginning of the movie. That thorn symbol on his wrist is written all over the walls, and, and it's in like some of the the symbols, like like one of the pieces of wood, the also. beams of wood that are boarding up the window. Someone has it in the thorn symbol. It's it's that very sharp P. Yeah, and it's obviously like something to be set up to be paid off later on. Um, Jamie believes that she'll she'll hide in the chute. Um, Michael realizes that opens the chute door while she's hanging on the door, just like literally just like a few feet in. He goes to grab her. She slides down the chute and coming down and crashes at the bottom. However, Loomis had locked the the, yes. the gateway to get out of it earlier. So Early, During his first visit when the man in black was there looking at him, and the man in black has made appearances throughout the film, usually just standing in the background observing things. We saw Loomis. He opened the little laundry chute and out came like a dead animal. So he closed it back up and locked that shit up tight. Yeah. And so... Jamie can't get out. Michael makes his way down. She which sh- he should have been able to open it. I don't know. Well, he eventually, Lewis, eventually he did. Yeah, like, if Lewis was able to secure it, I'm pretty sure Myers would have been able to un- unlatch it anyway. Was he turning it left? Did we see? Maybe he was turning it right. Yeah. He, I've done that before where I try to open a door that opens out by pulling it in. That's true. I think we've all done that, honestly. And so... Or I try to push a door that opens in. Um... Jamie shows true chest of strength by climbing up the chute after being stabbed in the leg because Michael tries to stab through the chute at one point. He gets down there. He can't get the cover off. So he starts stabbing through it, trying to get to her. Now, this is another MPAA cut. He was actually supposed to stab through her leg. It was all fully shot. There was a prosthetic leg made and a shot, a, a clear shot made of the knife going through her leg. And they even kept in the part where, like, when he stabs through, the, her, the look on her face, her screaming, like, ah, in pain. No, it could be interpreted as fear, but they left out the part where they stabbed through the prosthetic leg. Uh, Daniel Harris claims to still own the prosthetic leg. Which is cool. Yep. So at one point, when Michael's, one of Michael's stabs that goes through, she's actually able to gain a footing on and is able to like kind of leap herself back up and get on the ledge of where she was. Yeah, and then she literally... She does a pretty impressive pull-up to get herself up and out. Michael manages to rip the cover off, look up and see her at climbing up. And when she jumps out of the chute, you could actually see her bloody leg, and she's limping. Yeah. So they they didn't reshoot that in full. So I, I guess you could kind of, in your mind, think, okay, he he uh, nicked her once. Yeah. And so she doesn't know where to go. She goes up in the attic. Yep. She goes. You know, it's the only direction she has to go. She knows that he's downstairs and will be coming up. So she goes further up. She goes up in the attic. She finds her poor dead dog Max. He's hanging there. Yeah. Turns around. There's the body of Mike, Tina's boyfriend, mm-hmm. strung up. Turns around by the entrance, and in a continuity error, which was not there when she walked up, there's the body of Rachel. Yeah. She finds Rachel, freaks out. As well as the coffin. Yep, looks around the attic, which is covered in candles, has nowhere to go, is like, I guess almost submitting at this point, or if she has an idea, let me try what Loomis did, she sees in the corner the coffin of the nine-year-old girl that was With a picture earlier. of Jamie in it. With the picture from the Carruthers house 
uh, you know, atop of it. So she goes, she lays in the coffin. Michael comes up, holds a knife up to her. The music starts rising to crescendo, and she just says, Uncle? And then Michael's like, I can't kill it now. She said, Uncle. She said, Uncle. So she gave up. Yeah. That joke's been made before. I know. <laughs> We're so bad. But he stops. He says, Uncle, let me see. He lowers his knife. She says, let me see. Takes off his mask. Takes off his mask. He's in the shadows. Now, K and B effects, led by Greg Nicotero in this movie, they had two plans of going through this. We could either make, you know, have K and B effects make this grotesque burn makeup because of obviously Halloween 2. Michael's been fully engulfed in flames, and the final shot of Halloween 2 is his face on fire. Yeah. With the mask slowly burning off. Or we could do something where we don't do that, and he's hidden in the shadows. Now, in the theatrical trailer, they said they had they advertised it as this time he's unmasked, mm. and they show that brief shot of him pulling his mask off before it cut away. So this was hyped. This was advertised. Yes, because everyone's been saying everyone's been saying for now what five movies or four if you want to count. Like, oh my god, we never we only saw his face once. We never see his face. We never see. We've seen his face in Halloween one. Yeah, like. Tony I'm, Moran played if, him. Yeah, if it's not the same actor, obviously, it's. are we seeing his face? It's, it's. He's not like Jason, where he becomes more and more decayed and decrepit with each movie. And you want to see how worse can he look now. How much worse is is it, and you could hide a different actor behind all that makeup. Right, and like the only like real piece that we see that's intentional in this fact is that we see a close-up of his eye crying. Well, yes, they, they takes the mask off, and they, and they opted not to do some grotesque burn makeup. They went with face obscured in the shadows. You, you can make out Don Shanks' face. Yes. Much more better in the Blu-ray. Yeah. And the VHS copy back in the day, it was very obscured. Mm. But she says, you're just like me. And we see a close-up of his eye and the single tear going down, like I described earlier. Mm. I would have loved to see that opening with the thought that, like, now, if we say we had the opening I had, mm. the audience now would have been thinking, oh, my God, is she going to get through Rachel. Michael? Is she going to get, is she going to stop this? Is she yeah. going to like is this truly the end? Mm-hmm. Like is she going to figure this out? So she says, "Let me." She wants to wipe the tear away from his eye, kind of like Rachel would have done for her earlier, which would have snapped her out of it. Right. She goes to wipe the tear away, and he recoils. Mm-hmm. This is the scene that I have a false memory of him like going like ah like yeah, but like she poked him in the eye or something. Yeah. Boink! Boink! Oh! Quit crying at you, ahead. <laughs> and she slaps him. Spread out. <laughs> and she runs like... He recoils. We see on his face he has this expression of rage. It's not the blank, pale, emotionless face no. anymore that we're used to out of Michael Myers, or not really, that we're told that it is. It's the, the rage now that drives him. Yeah, he throws his ass back on. Frantically puts it back on. She runs away. He starts stabbing at the coffin. Tosses it aside. Don Shanks is fucking beasting and picks up this big... It's like a wooden coffin. Simple. It's yeah. not like a real one. But picks it up and fucking heaves it with two hands, you know? And then throws the... What the what the coffin was bouncing on was a tub that was in the attic. There was a bathtub up there. And he just kind of like thro- throws that around. Yeah. And then he turns around and he's got this body language like he's pissed. Like, it's a motion out of Michael Myers. We're not supposed to be seeing this. And so Jamie gets the right idea to go out the front... Trying to head towards the front edge that's when she's grabbed by Dr. Loomis. Who uses her as bait. Now, Woody, Literally. He grabs a hold of her as Michael's coming down the stairs. He sort of snapped back into his, you know, his Myers, his, his evilness, his shape. He's basically he's basically fallen back into being the shape again where he's slowly, methodically stalking them, knife up, ready to stab. Do you think Do you think he should have been still, like, this has been a time for him to, like, speed walk? No. 
even like even with the mask, you don't think he, like if he had like a little more forward momentum going after her. No, and the reason I feel that is because you look at the enclosed area of the house; he doesn't need to. But the fact that she tries getting through to him, it doesn't work, and he falls back into being the shape. Okay, he's back to being the shape that we know the Michael Myers. Like that brief moment of emotion was when she snapped him out of it, mm-hmm. kind of, and then the rage took back over, and then he fell back into. Being the, the stalking evil shape. Okay, that's kind of why I feel that you didn't need that. Gotcha. And so he, he basically he basically basically it's like I need a click counter. Yeah, he's Michael. My, she, he had a momentary lapse. lapse, and now he's the shape again. Yeah, and so Loomis at this point is kind of he's he, he lost he's his bananas. Gone. He's lost his fucking mind, and he's like, "Come get the little girl." girl. And Jamie's. Screaming, she's trying to get away from Lewis at this point. He, like he's injured and his mind is gone, his body's broken, his mind is broken. Everything is boil has boiled to this climax right here. And he's leading Michael into like all the way to the other side of the house. He's he's got Jamie dragging her saying, Come on, let's play a game, catch the little girl and you're like, What the fuck? Yeah, like he's literally like like you lost his mind. He is just as crazy as Michael at this point. Leads him leads him all the way into the back corner of a house and he lets go of Jamie. And he grabs hold of a piece of rope. Pulls it. There was a huge chain net strung up on the ceiling that the SWAT team put there to capture him if, yeah. at one point. They and it drops onto Michael successfully. And Loomis then uses a tranquilizer gun, sticking several darts into him. And it doesn't stop Michael. He's still strong enough to grab the gun and yank it away from Loomis. Loomis is desperation to try and stop him. He grabs He pulls a, a board just off from the wall, off the out, wall from, off. The, from the boarded up window. And cracks him over and over again screaming die die, die, die. and actually in in reality like he uh, he was really wailing on Donald Trump with a, a balsa wood piece of timber there but he broke Donald Shanks nose he, he accidentally hit him in the face and broke Donald Shanks nose yeah and since Loomis's scenes I believe were shot you know first there are according to what I read there are points where you could see a difference around the nose in the Myers mask because they had to make the material a little thinner because his nose was swollen Oof. and bandaged. Ouch. So that there's, if you look closely, I didn't notice it. Yeah, and then eventually the, Michael collapses the upon tr- the, uh, the tranks the wear in. I, I think it's part the tranks wear in and part Loomis fucking beats the shit out of him. Yeah. Loomis, you see, is slowly losing his energy. And, finally, and he collapses on top of him. And, he had, and what we was supposed to happen is that he's supposed to have had a heart attack and this is his last movie. He's supposed to die here. He was supposed to die here, like, looking at him with this look in his eyes, like, I got you. Yeah. It, I, it, it killed me, but you've You're, been defeated. Yeah, and you've that's what we, we see uh, the police sirens approach. Yep, then we see the, the flashing lights of the cop cars cut to... Michael's in jail, like full body chains. He's in a, he's in a holding cell at the Haddonfield Police Station, full body chains. There's Sheriff Meeker with the other cops, and there's Jamie. Why she's not at the hospital instead of there, I don't know. Why do they why do they keep the mask on? We do not know either. This girl who's bleeding out of her leg. Yeah. Why they let him keep his mask on? And I still have that false memory of him not wearing the mask. Yeah. Uh, but it was very obscure in darkness. Like we can't see his face. It's a cop just like escorting him, like grabbing him by the arm and just slowly escorting him. Like kind of just and he doesn't struggle whatsoever. Side. Nope, that's weird. That's strange, but that's also kind of cool to see. Like as he's well. been defeated, you know. Yeah, but and like they say, well, we're gonna transfer him to prison. Then we'll state, stay there. The state police will be right to pick him up. They'll take him to a maximum security facility. We'll stay there till the day he dies. And then Jamie very nihilistically proclaims he'll and never die. Eerily, he'll never die. And even the cops are kind of just like, that's creepy. Let's get her out of here. Yeah. So they go to take her home. 
The man in black shows up once again. You see these black boots walk up, a cigarette, lit cigarette hit the ground. He's these carrying, boots are meant for walking? He's carrying something. He's got a bag of something with him. Yeah. Pulls, walks up to the police station, starts walking around the building. Jamie's escorted out with a cop. They go in the car. All of a sudden, boom! Big explosion. Yeah. Sound of gunfire. The cop says, stay here. I'll be back. Uh, stay here. I'll be back. I'll be back. Yeah, okay. He runs in, and we see behind, I guess it would have been like an emergency exit that was barred off yeah. by Michael's cell. The man in black just opening fire. With a machine gun. With his huge machine gun. And then it gets quiet. Jamie goes to investigate. She should have ran away. Yep. She goes in. All the cops are dead. And I love this part. I love because it's all done in one shot. Yep. Just following her through all the hallways, seeing all the the carnage that's left in the wake. Like an over the shoulder perspective. Yeah. Right behind her, passed by the cops, and you could even see Sheriff Maker is dead. They, Sheriff Maker was killed in this. Yeah. He gets by Michael's cell. The bars are bent outward, and there's you know fire from the explosion. That emergency exit right next to his cell that was barred off. The bars are bent forward. She looks around, starts crying. No. Cuts to the perspective of the emergency exit with the bars pile up. No. A very reverby. No. The movie ends. Michael has escaped with this man in black who broke him out. Now, if you were sitting in the audience at that time, back in 1989, would you have been pissed? In a way, I might have been, but no more than I would have been at the end of Halloween, or the original Halloween, when Loomis looks back, his body's gone. And he could be anywhere. Yeah, but the thing is, like, you you didn't have four movies previous that, or th- with three movies worth of story beforehand. But at the same time, you're more invested in the original Halloween because it's a better movie. Yeah, but I just feel like uh, I feel I see people's perspective them being kind of cheated, and feel like, oh come on, oh, like really? We, we got this definitive, almost definitive ending right here, yeah. and now it's left on a huge cliffhanger, just like last time. Yeah, I can see it. Um... But at the same time, with that, I don't really know where you would go with it. Maybe, like, to, to momentarily skip ahead to the next movie, maybe that little recap that they shot at the beginning of the, the uh, producer's cut of Halloween 6 mm-hmm. of her going to the police station and then showing Michael being, you know, where, basically where, where he was, mm-hmm. what happened to him. Which I'm not going to spoil until no. the next one, even though I'm sure you've all seen this already. Yeah. If, you're, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched these movies, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. And before we get to our uh, the like wrap-up and like home media, like final thoughts on this? Final? It, it, it needed more time to simmer. This, this was something that you put in the slow cooker and, and it, it wasn't given enough time to fully cook. It's the, the meat's still a little too raw, raw and rare. The stew is a little too tepid mm. not exactly warm it needed it at minimum one extra year you could tell and even through seeing the behind the scenes things you could tell that there was a, there wasn't a fully cohesive vision everyone wanted to do a million different things you could tell that some people were fighting with each other over stuff it needed more time but i i genuinely appreciate it for the new avenues it was willing to go down. And it still felt like a Michael Myers Halloween movie. Mm. It didn't deviate horribly. I mean, how? T- t- it, I feel like it doesn't deviate horribly and doesn't spoil him being the boogeyman any more than, oh, Laurie Strode is your sister does. At this point, you know, the horse has already left the barn. Yeah. The original people are all long gone from this. It is another... You know, sequel for better or for worse, it is another slasher sequel. 
But at the same time, it's still willing to be it's still it's still willing to try something new. It's I, I do appreciate its attention to continuity by still filming in the same places. I mean, yeah, the mask is different. The actor behind the mask is different, and it shows instantaneously from the minute they stop using Halloween 4 footage in the beginning of Halloween to when five. they go to Halloween uh, 5 footage. Honest to God, I, if we're talking derivative slasher sequels, this, I think, is stands on top of most of them, you know? There, there's some shit sequels out there to horror movies. Right. Like, you, you could watch the first... Like we said, you could watch Friday the 13th 2 through 7 and not know what fucking movie you're watching. At least when you watch Halloween 5, you know you're watching Halloween 5. Yes. It has a personality of its own. It stands out on its own. It's still very talked about yeah. on whether it's good or not. There's a lot of people that have mixed feelings about it out mm. there, and that's fair. That's very fair, but I, I'm not going to say it's bad. I enjoy it for what it's worth. Nice. When we, But when it comes down to recommendation, for me, I, I do recommend it. Not because I'm sitting here saying, oh, it's good, it's great, it's whatever. I recommend it because I want you to draw your own conclusions on it. It is one that you have to watch and figure it out for yourself, mm-hmm. what you think. It's one of the things, like, it's because, much like how Halloween 2 plays so well into Halloween 1, and you just want to see the follow-up, it's kind of the same way because I really enjoyed Halloween 4, and so I, I, it's almost out of obligation I watched Halloween 5. It's not one of those things like, oh, I want to watch Halloween 5 specifically. I could put on Halloween 4 by itself, and, like, I could just throw, I could jump into that. It's rare that I go out of my way to, like, I want to specifically watch Halloween 5. It's more of, like, I've watched 4, I want to see the follow-up, I want to see these cast of characters again. And it is something that, like, otherwise I probably wouldn't watch it as often, but I don't think it is as terrible as people make it out to be. There are certain things that are in it that I think are really ambitious that we brought up before and should be commended for that. I feel like it it has aged much better. Because at the time it came out, it was, you know, critically panned. It only made, like, 11 million dollars against like a three and a half million budget outside it it was outside of a lot of america it was released direct to video in a lot of countries yeah it 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 was the lowest point of the halloween series and i feel that that's not really fair i mean that was in its day yes where something like this when it comes out you don't really get it you don't really process it well at first so that means oh i'm not gonna go see it again which results in low ticket sales low money whatever but I feel it's one that has a, a, among horror a lot of horror sequels that people just say suck. I feel like it stood the test of time better. Yeah, I mean, a lot better than a lot of others. Yeah, I, I could put it on. I could watch this a lot more than I could watch Freddy's Dead, or Jason Takes Manhattan, or Jason Goes to Hell. But let's be fair. I mean, 1989 was a very low point in the slasher genre where things were. Yeah, it was dead. exhausted by this point. You had you had big... Friday. You had Friday the 13th Part Eight, which was the lowest point in its. You know, you had Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. I don't know if that was the lowest. Was that or 6 the lowest? I think 6 was the lowest. All right. But because and just a year before, it's it's so weird, too, with the Slasher Junk. It's just the year before Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4 was the highest grossing in the Nightmare series. Halloween 4 was this great return to form. What the hell else came out in 88? Horror-wise, I mean, you probably would have had friday seven but like even like then like all right it that wasn't the most successful the, no the, but at least the, it was the pedal unique. the rose the pedal was off the rose by then for yeah friday. but yeah but also at least it was at least unique in the fact that hey you had kane hotter in the end it's like jason versus carrie at that point with that premise so yeah it, it is 
curious to see how the tides have turned so quickly on the slasher genre that something had been going strong for about nine years at that point. 88, I'd say, was, was the highest point of this. was pretty much the, uh, it's the a plateau. Slow, it, is that the right word? The yeah, plateau. it plateaued. There. It was a slow descent afterwards. Yep. So, yeah, that's why I really enjoy it. All right, so what about home video? How can I check this out if, I, right. if I want well, to? Well, you didn't home? say if you recommendations or not. I still say recommend it. I still say there are good parts of it. I like the fact that Dominique was ambitious with certain things. In, in, a, in a filmmaking term, like, the fact that he's used handheld camera, there's like certain shots that are hauled out in like longer takes, and you just like have the conversation back and forth between two characters. It's not just like, let me just stand here and over the shoulder, over the shoulder, two reverses, and we just cut back and forth between the two of them. Let's have this thing where there's this, this suspicious character standing in the back that looks just like our killer yeah. stalking them. There is effort put into this. There's that. effort put into it to create that slow burn stalkingness of the original that I feel was missing from 4. It just, But I do think it should have been wait a year for it. They needed It needed more time. Yeah. It definitely needed more time. And the Halloween series was not touched again for another six years after this. Right. And, oh, boy, will we get into that? I got, I got to do, like, a week's worth of research on the next on and, our next chapter. And the thing is that, like, since it came out a year after the first the Halloween 4's release, it was competing with the home video releases of Halloween 4, which kind of hurt it because it's like, oh, why would I want to watch this if the next one's already on theater? So they kind of it, they kind of screw themselves that way. But since we're talking about home releases, where well, can we watch I, well, home? I think the idea with that was, oh, my God, I just got this movie that I enjoyed last year. Let me watch it, refresh myself on it, and then go out and see the new one. Yes. I, I understand that's the idea, but yeah. it just kind of muddy the waters a little bit. So when it comes to watching it at home, this is pretty much the same deal you're going to get as Halloween 4. Uh, the two of them are paired together heavily. I have in my hands right now the Divimax edition that came out in 2006 alongside the release of Halloween 4 Divimax edition. And I also have I have the Blu-ray release from the 15-disc box set, which I looked up. It is identical to the 2012... What was it? 2011? 2011? 2011 or 2012 Blu-ray release. Both of them are sourced from pretty much the same master... Halloween 5, I feel they did a better job on Blu-ray than Halloween 4. Yeah. Slightly better. Because we noticed more in this watching than we did with Halloween 4. And it still is a trade-off where with Halloween 5's Blu-ray release, you do get a brand new audio commentary track with Don Shanks and author Justin Beam, who is coming out. This guy was coming out with a Halloween authorized series retrospective book. This was announced in 2012 around the same time as this. I cannot find any information on this, so I think it just got canceled. That sucks. Oh, you know, I was meaning to ask you to look up. There is a Facebook page still for it. we got to check it out. Oh, we have to then. But the one thing that is missing is that the Halloween 5 Blu-ray, is mi- this particular Blu-ray release, is missing the Inside Halloween 5 documentary. I believe it is on the uh, box set, on the final disc, the special... the series special features disc but if you got the single blu-ray release which is the most common one to find you're losing that so for completionist's sake i own both that's why i've never gotten rid of my dvds of either halloween four or five because if you want the special features dvds are you you go and if you want special features and a very good transfer in standard definition that you could watch on anything dvd if you want the best visual and sound that's currently available blu-ray right so you can't go wrong with either release. Was there a different release between Halloween Four on DVD, like a standard one, than the Divimax version, like how we had with uh, with Halloween? There was 5? with Halloween Five also. There was a two thousand one okay. release, and I presume it was probably a lot of the same things. There wasn't a like color corrections uh, 
kerfuffles like between transfers like we had with Halloween Four. Nothing that I really noticed. I mean, I, since since, since we're practically getting the same damn thing, I can only assume it's similar to that. Okay, but but regardless, with the DVD with the Divimax DVD, it's sourced from a new HD from not a new one from an HD master. So you're getting better picture than the 2001 anyway, and the 2001 might not even be anamorphic widescreen. Right. It may have still been that letterboxed on all four sides for 4 by 3 TVs. Gotcha. All right, then. Well, I hope you always enjoy this review of Halloween 5, uh, The Revenge of Michael Myers, as part of the One Good Scare retrospective of the Halloween franchise. See, this is why when you talked to me a couple weeks ago about what do we want to do next. Since this is going so well, we're getting a very good reception, would you say? Yeah. The series. The yeah. people that told us. And even asked, like, what are we going to do next? Like, I don't know what to do next because I'm sitting here. If I can have a series where I compliment Halloween 5, I don't I don't know what else I could compliment all the way through. Like, there's very few shit sandwiches in, uh, to me at least, in the Halloween series, which yeah. we will get to. We, we're getting to them. I don't, I don't want to sit here and freaking, you know, have a series where, like, okay, these two I like, but I'm going to rag on the next five, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I enjoy the fact that I'm finding positives out of something that's universally despised. Yeah. So that's why we picked the Halloween series partially. Right. We love it. I mean, there's other things I love, but there's other things that f- that, that fell from grace much faster and much harder. Yeah, that's damn sure. You you brought up the Texas Chainsaw series. It's like, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to do like, two or three movies out of the series, but like I I don't want to do the whole thing and I don't want to watch some of that shit again. <laughs> That's fair. But um yeah, so I know you don't have any social media nope. plugs with this, so I I'll do that. Um I hope you enjoyed this review. You can listen to uh, my other podcast, Please Rewind as part of the Real Fans for Real Movies Podcast Network. You can find that show and all the other shows at RF four RM dot com. You can find me here with this guy. Other than that, I don't want to know you, I don't want to see you, don't talk to me. If you see me in public, leave me alone. Yeah. Go home. Go ho- go to your house. Um you can follow me on social media with uh on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two, my Instagram at T Rooney and 12 my youtube channel through the lens productions my latest short film just a tip is up there uh, yeah it is <laughs> um if you enjoyed the show leave us a five star and review on itunes it really helps get the word out there so. film, just the tip yeah um i'll show you i'll show you in a second oh fuck. uh mike thank you you, w- get- you would thank- you would use just the tip <laughs> Thank you for taking time right now to talk, uh, talk Halloween 5 with me. Oh, uh, thank you for just the, the tip of that information. <laughs> Hope everybody's enjoyed this review, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good night, folks.